Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I'm Andrea Renee, joined, as always, by Miss Brittany Brombacher. I'm hot and sweaty, yeah. <laughs> and Miss Christine Steimer. I'm not as hot and sweaty as I normally am, because today is a more overcast day. Thank God. Blessed be for clouds. Welcome <laughs> to What's Good Games, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff. Welcome. If this is your first time listening to the What's Good Games podcast, thank you so much for stopping by and uh, joining us. If you're listening on podcast services, we would appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button, maybe leave us a review. Maybe you're watching at youtube.com slash what's good games. If you are, you may have noticed that lovely carousel of merchandise right below the video because that's right ladies and gentlemen this week's episode is brought to you once again by the what's good games merch store because we're talking about merch i've decided to wear one of our lovely pieces of merchandise this is our salty emojis shirt you can get it in tank top form you can get it in sweatshirt form or you can do like i did and get it in purple t-shirt form which i then showed people how to cut up in our what's good games pre-show which is one of our fantastic patreon tiers over at patreon.com slash what's good games yes that's right it's turbo patron month as always i think i meant to say turbo patron week you did but that's fine we're going to yeah. read those names in the third segment. But, Brittany, do you have a favorite piece of merchandise from the What's Good Games store, which can be found at teespring.com slash stores slash What's Good Games? Yeah, yeah, it's called the Baby-Ass Baby Mode Tee, and it's amazing and awesome, and it's like selector difficulty, and it has Baby-Ass Baby Mode selected. It's wonderful. It's my favorite. I love it so Steimer, much. what's your fave? Um, That's a good question. Uh, I also am very par- very particular. No. Very fond of. You're particularly uh, fond partial. of. You're Particul- I'm particularly fond of baby-ass baby mode. I'm also, of course, very fond of the That's What She Said pillow, which is a, a yes, newer, so a is newer addition new- to the store. Yeah. As she mentioned, a new addition to the merch store. It comes in a variety of sizes. It is a square pillow that you can choose a selection of colors. And it says, that's what she said, just like our pillow on set does. But the unlike the pillow here, our pillow in our merch store features our controller icon logo inside the d of of she said yeah it does (laughs) we we thought it seemed appropriate so again if you guys want to help support the show uh what's good games you can go to teespring t-e-e-s-p-r-i-n-g dot com slash stores with an s s-t-o-r-e-s slash what's good games again one more time teespring.com slash stores slash what's good games we've got men's we've got ladies we've got cotton we've got tri-blend and we've got pillows that's and we've got kid stuff i think we do we have toddler shirts as well and mugs don't put them in the dishwasher you'll have a bad time (laughs) yeah hand wash only (laughs) (laughs) hand wash only <laughs> Thank you so much for coming by the show this week. Um, we are, of course, shooting this show, uh, early again this week, and that's my fault because 
I am heading off to San Diego Comic-Con. By the time you are listening or watching this show, I will already be there. We'll be two days in to San Diego Comic-Con. Once again, if you guys are going, please stop by one of the three panels that I'm going to be hosting or come by the meet and greet. Again, Thursday was the division panel at this point. Friday, if you catch this right away in the morning and you're in San Diego, at 2.15 is the uh, LEGO DC Super Villains panel. Meet the talent behind the video games. That's going to be awesome. And then, of course, we have on Saturday the Defining Lara Croft Shadow of the Tomb Raider panel at 12.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And then I will be joining Mr. Greg Miller from Kind of Funny for the Kind of Funny meet and greet at Skybound's activation at San Diego Comic-Con. You can find the details for that, which I believe is a ticketed event, at kindoffunny.com slash SDCC. And if you follow me on Twitter at Andrea Renee or follow us at What's Good underscore games, you can find out where all of my panels are going to be. Thank you so much to everybody who is coming out to San Diego. And then we are going to be at RTX Austin in just a couple of weeks. That's right, August 3rd through the 5th. RTXAustin.com if you guys want to look up tickets. We have a panel on Saturday. We have got an autograph signing on Sunday. Britt, you tweeted about this, didn't you? I did. It's going to be fantastic. So our I almost said our podcast, but it's actually going to be our panel. <laughs> our panel is going to be about podcasting and how to, how to podcast, how to make a good, solid thing with your friends. That's what she said. I don't know. Mm, no. How to make a good, solid that thing with your friends. That's a bit of a friends. stretch. Okay. Now you you got to call me out because I throw the that's what she said out there far too often. You got to let me know when I fucked up. Uh, anyway, true. yeah, we're going to be talking about podcasting, things we've learned from our first year of podcasting. We'll have a Q&A. It'll be awesome. And then we have a very, very early signing, as Andrea mentioned, on Sunday. It's not very early. It's like 9.30. We may or may not be hungover at that signing on Sunday. Oh, Who yeah. knows? Probably. Maybe we'll be It'll having be all signs mimosas full yes. of... Wait, what? I said all signs point to yes. The magic like eight the magic eight ball. ball. It was a throwback. Just smile and nod. See, this is, this is exactly the stuff we're going to talk about in our panel. When you podcast over long distances, sometimes awkward things happen where someone talks and you cut each other off and you just smile and nod and hope for the best. It's true. I was listening back to the show from last week and there were several times when you in particular, Britt, would say things and I would just like completely miss them. Yeah. And then I was listening and I was like, why do I ignore Brit so much? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's not intentional. I swear. I feel like you've said that about me too before at other points where you're like, oh, I was listening to the show and I didn't hear most of what you said. And I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> Man, the delay. Sometimes it works not in your favor when you, when you podcast long distance. But these are some of the stories we're going to talk about. If so, if you are going to be at RTX Austin, please come by our panel on Saturday, August Fourth at one thirty, sounds about right. Uh, Twitter.com slash what's good underscore games. It's our pin tweet. I should know. There's so much happening. I still have Comic Con in my brain right now. That's all I can focus on. Um, but speaking of this week, we actually have a decent amount of news. Depending, uh, even though it's pretty early on in the week, please forgive us if there's some uh, amazing breaking news that happens. But there's um quite a bit of stuff to dig in here. So shall we? Uh, shall we get right to it, ladies? Yes, but our panel's at twelve thirty to oh, one thirty. Yeah, twelve thirty p.m. Central Time. Yes. All right. Moving on. Great. That was our transition. Moving on. Wait, beautiful. wait, what was that? Go ahead. Just go, Britt. Go for it. <coughs> Moving on. That was the Perfect. transition. That's all it was. Nothing more, nothing less. I think I need to put that on a soundboard somewhere. I'm oh, going to work on that. 
gonna really up this podcast game at a soundboard um (laughs) all right the first story it's not really a story as it is kind of an update but i thought it was interesting nonetheless to bring up no man's sky has getting a big update and it was detailed this week uh over at GameSpot. they write titled next the update will be available for free for ps4 xbox one and pc players of no man's sky starting july 24th perhaps the biggest new addition is multiplayer the long-awaited feature that everyone has been asking for finally allows players to team up with a small team of friends and explore the universe together or be joined by random members of the community quote you can help friends to stay alive or prey on others to survive you can build tiny shelters or complex colonies that are shared for all players fight as a pirate or a wingman in epic space battles with friends and enemies race exocraft across weird alien terrain create racetracks and trails to share online the character customization allows you to personalize your appearance the game will also receive a visual makeover that according to Hello Games has, quote, dramatically improved planetary terrain generation, ground textures, water, and clouds. Additionally, there's also significantly more detail added to ships, NPCs, and buildings. New planetary rings and improved space visuals have also been introduced. And on top of that, the game is now playable in the third-person perspective. Wow. That's this a is lot. a lot. But wait, there's more. Hello Games said, Nearly two years ago, our small team of friends with a shared love of sci-fi opened up the universe of No Man's Sky for the first time. It was an innovative, weird, and at times, lonely game. I loved that. It reminded me of the science fiction books I grew up with. It was broad in a way that almost no other game is but with four updates it has become broader and so much deeper too that will be even more true with the launch of next bringing a full multiplayer experience we can't wait for people to play and hopefully you can see from the trailer this is a very new experience yeah so Britt, you were uh on the social medias about <sighs> this i was so no man's sky Bless in you. itself when it was being well, we can get to the, the promotion or lack thereof in a little bit. Uh, it just did, did not look like a game that would interest me. Not a game that I would want to play alone. That I should clarify. It's the kind of game that if I'm going to play, I want to play with people. And obviously one of the main things Sean Murray was tweeting about and talking about was this isn't the multiplayer game you expect it to be. There's not a lot of multiplayer. We don't even expect players to find each other in this game. And so I was like, oh, okay. I mean, whatever. I'll just watch this from a distance. Didn't really keep up with it obviously there's been like what three expansions since it released a couple years ago and then there was some controversy this game i think was um it people they over was over promised under delivered there was really no pr campaign to speak of a lot of people um did i get did i say that right over promised under delivered yeah like really no yeah i was like did i get that backwards um you know Thank you. No real PR to speak of. I think if a lot of fans hype this game up to their in their heads so much that there's no way this game was going to fit the expectations that people had for it. And so unfortunately, the only thing I ever really saw was like the negativity surrounding it. So, which sucks. But now, you know, it sounds like they've made a lot of improvements to the game with these all these expansions. And I'm excited to hop in through multiplayer. They've added story missions. Apparently, there's a 30-hour story mission that I didn't even know about because I haven't been following wow. it. I'm like, I think I would like this game. It looks like something I would really enjoy. Yeah, and they've added base building and vehicles that can go around on the planets and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I could see this being a fun time sink with some friends. I'm excited to hop in. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed the brief amount of time that I spent with 
No Man's Sky, I just got to a point where I just felt like I was not making any progress. Like I felt like I was just collecting and collecting and collecting and I wasn't being able to upgrade the things that I wanted to. And it felt like the grind was just a little too lonely. I'm glad that they called that out in their press release. It's funny because some of these the some of the verbatim that they, that's in this press release reminds me so much of some of the copy I used to have to write for GameStop TV. So I for people who don't know, I used to write almost all of the scripts that I would read on GameStop TV. And when I first started doing it, I had to stick to a very formulaic script template. Like they were like this is the way that we do them, this is how we want you to write them, but over time, I managed to convince them to let me kind of write it in my own style. But every once in a while, you know, we would get directives from studios who are like, hey, you know, we're paying for this ad. We want this copy to be included. And for No Man's Sky with PlayStation's marketing team, there was like specific bullet points they wanted me to include. And it's crazy listening to something like fight as a pirate or wingman in an epic space battle with friends and enemies. Like that's like pulled directly from a GameStop TV script, <laughs> which is, um, which is crazy to think about. I bet you I could even pull up my script and like find the exact one that I wrote that it had that line. Hey girl. But it's, it's uh, the reason I bring that up is because it's wild to think about how long ago it was that this game was being promoted for pre-orders and just, how robust they were making the game sound and just how spectacularly they kind of fell on their face at launch. And it's really sad because I think this game is really a gem of a game that has really come into its own. They clearly just needed way more time than they were given. And I think what it comes down to and we are seeing that PlayStation has really learned their lesson in this is that they're not promoting these tentpole games so far out in advance anymore unless they know that they have specific target dates or they know exactly the product they're getting, right? Like, I feel like Sony can clearly start marketing The Last of Us Part Two as early as they want because we all have great faith that we know what Naughty Dog is going to deliver, right? Like, if Naughty Dog says, this is what you're getting, we know that's what we're getting. And that was clearly not the case with Hello Games and No Man's Sky, a, a very different type of studio, much smaller, didn't have nearly the experience or the resources that Naughty Dog had, not to compare them, right? This is clearly like apples and oranges. But I think it's like an interesting case study in how you market and promote a game that you're kind of propping up to be a tentpole or a AAA style title, um, you know, so far out in advance. Yeah, I think a lot of people are also saying, seeing, I'm seeing on Twitter and social media, oh, this is too little, too late. But I mean, sure, for some people, but I think this is finally the game that a lot of people were looking for many years ago. And, you know, it's a game that's always been intriguing to me. And like I said, it was blown way out of, there's no way that this game was going to live up to the expectations that were set for it. But now that it has multiplayer, and now, like I said, it has all these cool things, there's a, you can now do multiplayer missions from your new ship thing that, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a dumbass, I'm sorry, I don't know, like, all the terminology for this game, but the things I've been reading about it, they can do It doesn't make you a dumbass, Brit. <laughs> um, okay, what's the word? Not a dumbass. I, I am un, uninformed. Uneducated. Uneducated. Sure, that's even better. Uneducated. About, it's like, in better terms than of a dumbass. Game. Dumbass assumes that... That you're, like, willfully ignorant. Okay. No, I am not willfully ignorant. Uninformed, maybe. I'm uninformed about all the correct terminology. 
But this finally seems like the game that I was excited about. And I remember the day before the game released, you know, Sean was like, this is, I'm worried essentially that this is not going to be the game that everyone's expecting it to be. And it turned out that it wasn't. But I feel like it's finally at that point. I don't think Hello Games would consider No Man's Sky to be finished at this point. I think there's even a quote out there about that. But uh, I think it's made a lot of great strides. And I, I'm definitely going to jump in and try it. So we'll see. I'm very curious to see how this game does now, now that all these fixes have been implemented. Stimer, do you have any desire to uh, go back to No Man's Sky? I never, in order to go back to it, I would have had to be there at some point. Uh, and I was never. <laughs> I don't know. Hello, no Man's Sky was definitely one of those games whenever it came up on like the PlayStation stage or wherever, I was just look at it and think, I don't know why everyone's so excited about this. It just seems empty to me. Like, there was just something missing. Um, so then when it came out and it was kind of empty, um, I was like, okay, cool. Glad I didn't, like, spend time going over there. This update is interesting to me. However, I think for, I, I don't know. It's it's a hard hurdle for me to get over. I'm like, you already launched your game. And now this is like a 2.0 launch kind of a thing. And... It's hard for even me, who never even played the first one, to be like, oh, yes, now I'm going to play this. So I can't imagine. I think anybody who's already played this game is probably out already. Like, I can imagine that that soured them spectacularly to think you're getting one thing and then not get it. Like, would you I think automatically I think, forgive? No, I think that applies to definitely... I mean. No Man's Sky has like a cult following, obviously, and there are people who hopped in it and were severely disappointed, especially when Hello Games did that weird thing where they were like super quiet for a few months, didn't talk to anyone. I think they lost a lot of loyalty there. But for me, I'm as an example, I'm looking at this as like a relaunch. Like in my little world and bubble, No Man's Sky, it almost like didn't even release because it wasn't something that ever got my time or my attention. But now seeing the things that they've added since launch, like I'm just looking at a list here. So portals, so fast traveling, they've made the planets supposedly more interesting, vehicles, there's different game modes, base building, base sharing. Totally, missions. like, no, I, so uh, what they, what it, they did sounds way fucking better. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. No, so what I'm saying though that. is I'm seeing, I'm looking at this game as like a whole new release, like something like No Man's Sky 1.0 didn't even really exist in my mind. So to me, it's exciting. It's not, I don't think your game already launched, so therefore I'm not interested in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that I know that I'm sure that that's what I I can appreciate your perspective, but I'm saying as like average person, to them this game already came out, and I think it's hard to change people's perspectives once you already launch. Like once yes. you have that out there, it's very difficult to change perception of your property. Um, so that's more of what I was saying. Like even this thing could print money, and like I still think there would be people who would be like, fuck you, because you screwed me over two years ago. Like, I think that that, that was more my point. Oh, totally. Is like, some people are so soured on this. Like, there's literally nothing you're gonna Especially go, when they going to be that, able to do. Especially $60 price tag for a game that's like, yeah. what, now 20 bucks. Totally. Like, And I think it's an interesting point that you both are bringing up, because what I was thinking was, how many games have we seen that have released on PC, and then two, three, four years later or whatever, they come out on different console platforms, right? Like we're particularly seeing this with the switch right now with games that have released on other platforms that are now finding a new home on the switch. And I think that there's definitely a space in the market for people who maybe completely missed 
No Man's Sky when it first came out because they either heard the kerfuffle and were like, I'm just going to stay away. Or maybe they just missed it altogether because their head was under a rock and they weren't paying attention. I think that there's an opportunity for Hello Games to have a second wind, to get a, a do-over right now because i think that they demonstrated that they put the work in that they took the community feedback to heart that they didn't just say hey well we did our best like take it or leave it they said we want to do better and you know sean murray's even said we're not done like we have done a ton of work over the last couple of years making this the game that we promised you that it would be but we're not done yet we're still doing more we're still making more improvements we're still adding more features and i think that that shows a commitment to the community who did stick around to say hey like we want to make good on what the expectation was sure it took us a little bit longer than we anticipated but we're doing our best to get there because i'm sure you know after um the initial run they didn't get additional support from sony but they're going to take the money that they did make and put it back into the game and i have a lot of respect for that because of that i am compelled to try the game out again and see how it goes and i hope that when i jump back in it'll be fun so brett if you want to be space pirates together oh baby girl let me know look for that booty that space booty oh my gosh i'm sorry i had to get weird i had to make it weird that's what i do This is why we we love you, though. Okay, uh, (laughs) next story. This is um, an interesting one. Another game who is trying to take a stab at a make good. Middle Earth Shadow of War removes final microtransactions as promised. So this IGN, or this write-up comes from IGN. I also received a press release about this directly from Warner Brothers. Three months after Warner Brothers announced that it would remove all microtransactions from Middle Earth Shadow of War, it seems to have done just that. New patch notes released on Steam say that the market is removed from the game, replaced with an updated garrison menu that allows access to your garrison orcs, chests, trading orders, and boosts. While the ability to purchase in-game gold was removed back in May, players could still use existing gold in the market until now. The feature's removal marks the last vestige of microtransactions in the game. When Middle-Earth Shadow of War was first released, publisher Warner Brothers and developer Monolith cut flack for how the game allowed players to almost needlessly spend real-world money. In a subsequent announcement, the game's developer admitted that microtransactions undermine the heart of the game. Quote, simply being aware that they are available for purchase reduces the immersion in the world and takes away from the challenge of building your personal army and your fortresses, said a spokesman back in May. So they also added quite a few other things, um, which if you guys want to see all of the new content updates, you can check the full patch notes over at the Monolith website. But this is another game that kind of feels like a little too little too late in more of a big sense than for No Man's Sky, because this is a game... That was one of my most anticipated games for last year. And it came out and just underwhelmed me in the saddest of sad ways. Because I love the Lord of the Rings. I have a map of Middle Earth on the wall inside the studio. I have read these books so many times and seen the movies. And Alex Ray and I used to geek out over Lord of the Rings. And and The Hobbit and just the world of Tolkien so many times. And like it was such a bummer that I couldn't force myself to get back into this game. Now, the removal of the microtransactions is an amazing step in the right direction, and I'm glad that they did it. But I'm kind of like, but it's kind of like, why? At this point, like, I understand, like, it's good overall for the community and for the game, for people who maybe want to jump back in and try it. 
but like, why didn't you do this sooner? Like, why couldn't you like pivot faster? If nothing else, just refund everybody and then just wipe the microtransactions out and just give people their money back. That's the quickest way to get it done. But I guess micro or not Microsoft, excuse me, Warner Brothers was maybe like, that's too difficult. We don't want to do that. I don't know. It's kind of a, this is kind of a bummer of a story when it should be like a cool, you did it. But at the same time, I'm like, uh. yeah, it's sort of weird too, because it is a single player game. So, I don't know, the whole thing, and I agree with you, Andrea, I'm not a huge, like, Lord of the Rings nerd, but I 100%ed the first game. So this game was also one of my most anticipated, and I had a great time playing it at preview events, where you're already kind of, like, leveled up and, like, just basically running around killing things. I was like, awesome. But actually going through the regular user funnel of the game... I just couldn't do it, which is like it was the most disappointing thing because I loved the first game so much. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe that's why I'm like, eh, you remove microtransactions. Good for you. Like, because that's not enough I don't to know. make you want to hop back in and experience. They shouldn't the game. have been there in the first place. Um, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, this definitely feels like too little too late. As opposed to, like, personally, like, No Man's Sky, because me, I like to have a single-player game I'm working through, and then I like to have something that I can just play, like a multiplayer game on the side. But uh with all these other single-player experiences coming down the pike, it's like, I don't really have any ears to play this game anymore. I feel like it's come and gone. It's had its moment. I think this is awesome that they learned a little little too late, probably, but they did implement these changes. But at this point, it's like, I, I just, no one's talking about this anymore, really. Um I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm not into it. I'm wondering if they only did this because they were like, well, people dropped off the game a lot faster than they were anticipating. And they're trying to, like, use these PR beats to drum up a little bit of reminding people that this game exists in the first place. And then also (laughs) being like, by the way, there's nothing shady here. Finger guns. And please come back. Please. (laughs) Yeah, I, is there any reason to come back and play this game? I mean, I think only if you were turned off so much by the microtransactions that you noped out, but you're still interested in the story. Like, sure, that might be where that might be where I'm at because for me, and I'm glad that Michael DePlater, who is over at Monolith, addressed the idea of immersion and just how immersion breaking the microtransactions were because you would get to certain points where you would like be uh you would get these notifications to like go to the store and going to the store and having to like go through this like retail process of buying orcs to like add to your army just felt so kind of gross in a way and i was just like why i don't like need these things and Clearly, that game had more problems than just the microtransactions. Um, but I just, I don't know. It, it, it did feel like very immersion breaking in a variety of ways. And I want to really go back and check out the DLC that came out, uh, the Blade of Galadriel, where you, um, you know, get to play as, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. This is when Galad- we is that Laura sounds. Bailey's character? Yes, it is. I don't remember her game name. This is transition music. Wow, she 
Um, yeah. No, what is the, what is her character name? Oh, Atariel. That's what it is. Um, so she's introduced in this game and like I, that, that was the DLC that I really wanted to play. So I'm still planning to go back and check that out. And maybe now is a good time for me to check out both No Man's Sky and, um, you know, Shadow of War again. Just revisit, revisit them both. Revisit those friends going. You know, it's not like there are any other big games coming up anytime soon, so it's fine. You got all the time in the are world. Are you being facetious? Yes. Like, and that, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, what is coming out soon? Games in general. I have a huge backlog, so I think that's taking up a lot of my life right now. Um, I'm like, what year is it? Where am wait, I? Where are we? Where are we? We're <laughs> in 2018 right now. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. You know, I'm really excited about Octopath Traveler, and that's what I'm playing. And then I want to do more Destiny 2 stuff. It just like No Man's Sky. Like, other games right now seem more relevant and more interesting to play than something that came out a while ago. And I hate saying that, but then again, I've never been a huge fan of these Wait, games. Wait, what? I didn't like them. But girl well. who plays super old shit is saying that there's no. <laughs> I think what's, what it is for you. I was going like... to say it. Simon took the <laughs> no, words right out of my mouth. No, okay, this is okay. Let's just keep it real. <laughs> keep it real. So, you know, obviously, when we're in the business of doing what we do, there's always that kind of that sort of pressure of playing something that's relevant, that you can talk about. And obviously, like me, I like to have my multiplayer game. I like to have my relevant current game. And sometimes I like to have a retro game on the side. And so I always have like a game in those sections. But right now, like going back to Shadow of War, it just doesn't seem like the smart It doesn't thing fit to do. these categories. It's not old enough to be retro. See? Yeah, give, give me it, like 20 give years. Give it another and 10 I'll come years. Back. Yeah, 10, 20, 10 20 years, and then years, you'll and play I'll it. Back to it. <laughs> true, true. All right. Well, let's not beat this horse to death. Um, let's yeah. move on. Awesome. If you guys are interested, they have now removed the microtransactions for Middle Earth Shadow of War. Um, Moving on to a game that Des- uh, that Brittany so uh, thankfully brought up, Destiny 2. Um, so I got a couple of stories here about Destiny 2. Bungie has revealed the Solstice of Heroes Destiny 2 Summer Holiday Event. So this write-up comes from Polygon. Solstice of Heroes will start on July 31st in its Destiny 2's new Summer Holiday Event. It's also the only way to get 400 power armor before the Forsaken expansion releases on September 4th. The Solstice of Heroes represents a memorial and a celebration of the past year. The event centers around the destruction of the previous tower and the rebirth of the Golden Age. Essentially, it asks players to remember the event of Destiny 2's base campaign. This is done in a few ways, namely the replaying of old story missions. Solstice of Heroes will offer limited-time Redux missions, important story missions altered in one way or another. The five missions offered this year will be Homecoming, Spark, Payback, 1AU, and Chosen. Completing these missions will be one way to upgrade your Solstice of Heroes armor, the same pieces players were wearing when the tower fell last year when Destiny 2 launched. It starts with the Shattered set, which drops at 240, and can be upgraded to the Rekindled set at 340. And finally, players can upgrade their gear all the way to Resplendent, which is set exclusively at 400 light level. Um, so this is great. Uh, there's a lot more details to be learned about the Sources of Heroes for those of you out there who are inquiring minds and would like to know. Of course, we just had Guardian Con, uh, and I want to give a big shout out to all of the Guardians who raised 
$2.7 million for St. Jude's at Guardian oh. Con. So, um, definite round of applause for that. That's awesome. What an amazing charity stream that everybody did down there, um, in Florida. Uh, the other Destiny story that I want to tag onto this before we talk about this is that Nolan North will voice Cade 6 in Destiny 2's Forsaken. So this is a headline that I had to read twice yeah. to be like, wait, what? Wait, what? What is this? So this write-up is from Game Informer. In a strange turn of events, Nolan North will be taking over the voice work for Cade 6 in Destiny 2 Forsaken. Nathan Fillion was, quote, unavailable to reprise his role, he told Kotaku's split-screen podcast. He had to say about the strange he had this to say about the strange situation quote unfortunately these things don't work out and it's a little bit heartbreaking but if it has to go to someone else then thank god it goes to someone i absolutely love and the fans love the character was in good hands what is even weirder oh that's the end of the quote Mm -hmm. uh what is even weirder is that fillion just played nathan drake in an uncharted fan film released this week a role that nolan north is known for in some alternate universe the two of them are just playing some elaborate prank based on an esoteric inside joke now we now live in a world where nolan north will most likely be talking to nolan north in the upcoming destiny 2 expansion ever since he took on the duties of ghost from peter dinklage if other characters voice actors move on does he take over their spots as well will there be a destiny game eventually voiced entirely by nolan north only time will tell and uh steimer writes a very riveting piece of comment in the show notes. <laughs> she highlighted that you're going to be replaying these uh, story missions in the Souls of the Heroes and says, boring. <laughs> I just am like, oh, oh, cool. Here was my excitement level at first. Like, oh, a thing called Souls of Heroes. Sounds cool. What's this event? Oh, you're just replaying story missions? Never mind. Goodbye. <laughs> like, now, see, I'm kind of excited about that, actually. Yeah. I don't. I can't Brit, do I'm, super I'm with you because I'm like with you, anymore. Brit, because I still have some alts that I need to run missions with, which is why I was so bummed when I found out on the show last week that you and Jason had played through everything, and you didn't tell me because I could have played with you with my alt. I have I have not played with my warlock at all. See, it's okay. They're super floaty. I know. I don't. I hate their jumps. <laughs> But the supers are so good now. These are some of the more fun. I mean, they're not a lot of missions in Destiny 2, but obviously I just finished the campaign, so it's fresh in my head. But, you know, you get to defeat Gwal again. You get to do the sun. You get to get your light back. You got to board the Cabal ship. Like, those were fun missions, I thought. So I'm excited to go back and play these again. Uh, Maybe, Samer, if you play with me, you won't think it's so boring. (sighs) Well, I will say, I think, well, yes, first off, yes, if we play together, it won't be boring. Second, the reason why I'm particularly excited about this is because in destiny you could go back and play the story missions whenever you wanted you literally could run them and they had daily story missions that you would get um you know in-game rewards for they took that away in destiny 2 there's no way for you to replay the story missions unless you go start a new alt character can't you that's the only way so i thought can't you meditate with what's her name the, With the, Ikora, yes, but you can only do limited missions there, mm-hmm. and there's only so many you can do at a time. In Destiny, it was like virtually unlimited. If I wanted to boot up Destiny and go play 
you know, a story mission from, you know, the House of Wolves, I could replay it over and over and over again mm-hmm. to my heart's content. Now, would I get continued drops? No, probably not. But I could still play it and experience the story. And that was one of the things about Destiny that I really didn't like. Not only can you not, like, just randomly pick story missions to go play, you can't pick strikes either. Like, you have to play in the strike playlist. And that, to me, is even the more, like, egregious part that they took away from the original destiny so i am excited to go back and play these i'm with you steimer that it's like a whoop-de-doo it's not that exciting um but knowing how much content they've put out for these seasonal events in the past like the crimson days and like the festival of of hollows and all the other things i don't know if that's the name of it um the destiny halloween event um my gosh, please tell me. I got, yes, it is. Festival of the Lost. Um, is that like, I, I never really like, got that pumped about those. I love the way they decorate the tower and like, that's about, that's about it. Cause yep. most of the gear to me is like, I, I prefer the gear that I roll with all the time. I don't necessarily want the special gear, but I know that there's a lot of hardcore collectors out there who want every single piece of gear and have all of the armor sets. And that's cool. But I guess if, I don't entirely know how this works, but it's like it starts with the shattered set, which drops at two forty, and then can be up. I'm like, so the way I'm reading this, I'm like, do I have to play these missions three times to get the four hundred? How am I getting these things? I don't understand how this works. Um, that's I, a good question. I think each piece of armor has certain missions or certain things you have to accomplish to upgrade in the moments it. of triumph, which is back. So I, I think that's what I read because I also was confused. But I'm still confused. Don't get me wrong. But what I think I read was each piece of armor has specific things you have to do for it in order to upgrade it. But what mm. I don't understand. So the armor drops at 240 and then, yeah, it's like, so I'm assuming you play through these missions and you get a piece of each armor, right? I th- and then you have to figure out how to upgrade them depending on the piece. So this, I, Okay, it my- looks like you have to do the prestige raid layers in order to get... Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, the Spire of Stars will drop a 400 <laughs> power weapon after each completion. And... I think you just get the armor um, by participating in the event. I think you just walk up to someone and they're like, here's this sh- shoddy-ass armor, and then it's up to you to upgrade <laughs> it and make it awesome by doing the quests. Mm. Right, I would imagine you have to infuse it up to 400, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, apologies for my coughs. I'm trying to hold them in as best I can. You're doing good. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. The thing I'm like, the fuck about is the <laughs> Nolan North, Nathan Villian thing. Especially because this, granted, they could change it, but this very much appears as though Destiny is trying to kill off this character. So for him to not reprise it in the final fucking moments is really annoying. Yes, this is the, I'm with you, Simer. This is super weird. I'm not quite sure why in this moment Bungie would choose to change voice actors. Like how, how is Nathan Fillion's schedule so busy or how is your production running up so last minute that you can't get the star of your game whose character you're killing off to not do whatever final lines Cade has right. Like, it's not like he's how, how to go to a mocap stage. These are just VO lines in a booth, which yeah. 
So, like, it's not... And he... Okay. And Nathan Fillion had time to shoot this fucking Uncharted film. So good. So, like, his schedule... There's some openings. They he has some time. <laughs> like, so I don't know. Yeah, the story is just weird. But also, can we talk about that Uncharted fan film for a second? Because holy shit, that was good. Aww. Yes, we can. It was very good. Britt, you, you look like you have thoughts. Oh, I loved it. It was like 15 minutes, but it was the best video game to film adaption I've ever seen. It was so on point. The little quips, I always was worried if we got a traditional, you know, people are always like, I want the video game movie to be like the video game, but then it doesn't transition well. But yeah. even like everything, the quips he made never got old. They were fun. There was a point where Nathan Drake was looking at a window that he knew he'd have to jump through. And like maybe five or 10 seconds before we saw his reaction of him learning that he has to jump through it. I thought in my head, I'm like, okay, he's totally going to make like an ah shit face before he jumps through it. And it cut to him and he made that face and he jumped through the window. And then it did that cool thing where it, you know, it got rid of the borders on the top and bottom and it looked like you were playing the game. The third person. The third mode. person. When, when the camera comes back over his shoulder, I was like, oh, fuck yes. Oh my God. It was so good. And I was laughing and I felt like he just portrayed all those characters are portrayed so well. I was just super impressed by it. My only nitpick. Yes. Is that I felt like they made Elena a little bit dumb. Like, she just seemed like she was... The way her face was... Sure. Yeah, and I didn't, some of I didn't her like lines, her. Sure. I, I, I was like... I honestly even uh, forgot she was in the movie. I was thinking yeah. of Sully and Nathan Drake. She's, but you're she's right. very much, like, shoehorned in at the end. But, like, her face is just too confused all of the time. I'm like... I, I, I wish I could have been there to direct her. Like, no, no, you don't need to be confused. You've done this before. You've been on many of these missions. <laughs> You've done this before. <laughs> and, and also... Are, could they be coordinates? I'm like... You know their coordinates. Yeah, it would have been. You know that's what they are. It would have been great if they had been able to get Emily Rose, um, who is the voice actress who plays Elena. I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing her on the red carpet at the Video Game Awards way back when for, like, I think Uncharted 2. Um, And she was lovely. And I, back then, had asked her, you know, like, there's... Even back then, there was like rumblings of an Uncharted for film, a while, yeah. You know, and I was like, you know, would you ever, you know, want to do something like that? And she was like, it would be a dream, of course. Every voice actor wants to play their character in a live action film, and like she would be so perfect for that. I just don't know why. Maybe obviously she's busy or something, but it would have been yeah. fun if they had at least asked her because yeah, she looks good. surprisingly like Elena in real life. So well, they modeled like, the character after her, right? But I mean, sometimes though, like the characters look just enough different that if you were to translate them to film, um, that it would just the 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 uncanny valley is just mm. big enough that you're like, eh, this feels wrong. But I don't sure. think it would feel that way for her. No, yeah, I think she would have done a great job. But I think my other favorite moment was the uh, I guess sorry, it's minor spoilers if you haven't watched it, but you should go watch it. It's not that long; it's twenty minutes. Um, when he's fighting the dudes and he like rips that guy's ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. I was like, yes, amazing. So good. So do ladies think that this could have any impact on any Uncharted series, the film, or anything? No. I don't know that this film is ever happening, to be quite honest with you. Um, Young Nathan Drake? Oh, maybe, yeah, like young boy. I don't know. Well, the one with what's-his-butt? Yeah, Tom Holland, right, is his name? Oh, yeah. So that's the guy. So he, he's the one who's, so he's from Spider-Man Homecoming, right? And so he's the one who's supposed to play young Nathan Drake in the 
Uncharted film. I don't think that this fan film is going to change that whatsoever. Maybe if they hadn't anticipated putting like older Nathan Drake in, like maybe they're like, maybe we should do some like flashback sequences with Tom, or maybe we should add in like some kind of like cut to the future and Nathan Fillion is like older Nathan Drake, um, versus like young, very young Nathan Drake. I just, Knowing how the studio process works and knowing that Sony Pictures has been making movies for a very long time, this fan film is probably not going to deter or interrupt anything that that massive studio organization already has in the works, right? Because a lot of these contracts take years to develop and more importantly, the scripts take years to finalize and that's why Hollywood just moves slow, and it's unfortunate and sad, but as much as I love that people are like, but look at what happened with Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds. Maybe that could happen for Uncharted. I was like, I don't think so. I think that, that those are two very different like cases as to the like the circumstances around the Deadpool movie versus the circumstances around the Uncharted movie. That being said, this was an amazing fan film. If you haven't watched it, it's 15 minutes. Take the time. Go watch it. Don't watch a bootleg version. Go to the actual YouTube channel, which I'm going to pull up right now Transition. because you guys should give the director all of the views and not some other channel who just ripped it and put it up there. Um, the channel is from Alan Ungar and uh, the channel is just his name. So it's youtube.com, I believe, slash Alan Unger. If you guys want to look it up, uh, it's A-L-L-A-N. And then U-N-G-A-R, that's the his name, and that's the, the fan family. That's the legitimate place that you guys should watch it. I want a Netflix series of this. I don't know how Hollywood works or Netflix or anything, but ignorant fans, so like that's what I like 2 million views, you guys. Like, that's pretty impressive. I'm so bad. Good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, not to get too far off track. Uh, we have one more story that I put in, especially for Miss... Christine Steimer, because she has made not one but two Homestar Runner references over the this last. This validates shows. me so much. This story <laughs> being a thing, I know, right? Trogdar co-op board game based on beloved Homestar Runners Dragon fulfills Kickstarter goals. So Polygon wrote this up. Now, normally we don't do Kickstarter stories. We get pitched them all the time, and it just doesn't make sense for us to talk about every single game that's on Kickstarter. But this one, I had to bring up. Um, so is it Trogdor or Trogdor? Trogdor. Trogdor, a dragon from the long-running Flash series, Homestar Runner, stars in the official Trogdor the board game, launched its Kickstarter. The campaign combines the recent popularity of board games with the appeal, of course, of Homestar Runner, Trogdor, and Strong Bad, the character who created the iconic dragon. With all the campaign's draws, fans have already pledged the entirety of the $75,000 goal, less than three hours after the Kickstarter went live. Uh, Steimer, while I'm reading that you want to pull up where it's at right now. In this turn-based board game, anywhere from two to six players assist the one-armed dragon in burninating peasants and villages while avoiding human protectors. Players choose their difficulty, set up the board, and are dealt a keeper of Trogdor and item, which gives which each give sorry uh, Trogdor action and movement perks, not necessarily respectively. A gameplay video on the Kickstarter page featuring Homestar Runner character Strong Sad leads viewers through a few rounds demonstrating card draws, movement, and actions. Um, 
So this playable rendition of the character was created by the Homestar Runner creators, the Brothers Chaps, in collaboration with veteran board game designer James Ernst. If you guys want to learn, Ernest, excuse me, want to learn more about the game and about the panel where they uh, talked about it, you can check all that out over on the Kickstarter page. Um, it is at $218,000. So more than double their original ask. Good for them. Yep. All right, Steimer. So have translate. you backed it yet, Steimer? Sorry, what? Have you backed it yet? No, I haven't. Um, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> you should. And could you please translate what all of this means? Like, what's happening here? This is fascinating to me. I haven't. So I only saw. I saw Bernie tweet this, and I was like, "Holy shit, yes!" And so, so I like. So let me read a little guys. bit more for you, Britt, to give you a little bit more context. The real life adaptation of the Burninator, which you know Steimer brought up on the show, Trogdor the Burninator, okay. yes will come as a delight to longtime loyal fans of Homestar Runner. Trogdor was introduced over 15 years ago in a Flash cartoon, Dragon, which wrestler-themed character Strongbad fulfills a fan's email simple request to draw a dragon. Strongbad names it Trogdor and sings its backstory, including its love for burninating peasants and cottage roofs. The quirky-looking dragon quickly captured the hearts of Flash viewers, Following up on the popularity of the cartoon, the site published an actual Trogdor RPG flash game. Outside of the Homestar Runner site itself, video game fans may recognize the name from the self-titled Guitar Hero 2 track Trogdor, a polished metal version of the original cartoon's Trogdor theme. While Trogdor is a relatively ancient internet icon, the Homestar Runner site itself is just about 18 years old, in fact. There's also a certain timelessness to being a fire-breathing one-armed dragon burning down helpless humans. Yes. Yes, there is. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take a look at this after and like see what <laughs> what I want to like back it at because they have some wormwood stuff and I love wormwood. So wormwood, Worm- wormwood, wormwood. wormwood. Uh, you know the people who make the little shields for take this. They're wonderful shields. Everyone should buy one. They're fantastic. It's true. All right, so that's going to do it for us for news. Steimer, do you have any parting thoughts about this game? Are you excited? Burninating all the peasants. Burninating all the people. And his name was Trogdor. That was a little bit of the song that he sings I, I about feel like I need dragon. to hear the rest of the song now. I was catchy um, as fuck, Steimer. She's going to pull it up. We're going to play it at the top of the next segment. Ladies and gentlemen, right now, we are going to take... A very short break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about some video games that we've been playing. Stick with us. We'll see you in a minute. Everybody, it's segment two of the What's Good Games podcast, where we talk to you about what we've been playing here on this video game show. So last week, we played, or we talked about, quite a few different games. Variety, a cornucopia. But this week, both Brit and Steimer have been playing Octopath Traveler. So a lot of you out there have been writing in about this, wanting to know our thoughts, our feelings. In fact, several of you wrote into Dear WGG. So let's start, shall we, with uh, Mr. Jay Mahui, who says, What's good, ladies? What are you enjoying most about Octopath Traveler? I love almost everything from the art style to the combat systems, but what I am finding most enjoyable is being able to pick it up 
and put it down. I can play a little while preparing a meal or have a longer play session while Sarah is playing a video game on the TV. Yay for the power of the Nintendo Switch. And then... We've got Miss Jessica Salisbury who wrote in, Hey, I'm playing Octopath Traveler this weekend. I've been loving it. I haven't played any JRPGs aside from the random Pokemon game here and there. Do you have any suggestions for other games like Octopath? Thanks. And then Miss Male writes, Octopath Traveler is sold out on Amazon. It's still available at GameStop where I got mine. and Well, available digitally, but that's besides the point. The point is that it seems to be selling well. What do you think makes this JRPG stand out? Is it the release window, the unique 2D, 3D art, story, and more story, the promise of a JRPG that's actually accessible to gamers that don't typically game in that genre? Who cares why? Good job, Octopath. So, ladies... um, you have been playing. I gave the code that was provided to What's Good Games by Nintendo to Miss Christine Steimer so she could jump in. Britt, did you also get a code provided by Nintendo? Ask me after the show. What? <laughs> no, okay. okay. No, 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 okay. no. That was a little dramatic. I don't want to send the wrong <laughs> message. Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, um, I was like, what? a simple yes or no would have sufficed. <laughs> But you can tell me the backstory about that later. I got you. Um, so, um, you two obviously have much more experience. In fact, all of the experience in the JRPG realm, which is why I passed the code off. Um, Britt, what have been your first impressions of Octopath Traveler? So I'm only maybe four to five hours in. So I am barely qualified to speak about this game because a game of this magnitude, you know, you got to put a lot more into it. So I um, have been playing with a warrior, and I always get his name wrong. Eldrick? Eldrick? Eldrick or something? Yeah. Um, And I just recruited Primrose, so only I have two of the characters. You got Sexy Dancer Lady? I got Sexy Dancer Lady. So I played the demo when it came out. Gosh, was that last year? It must have been last year, obviously. Yeah. Um, And I did essentially the same missions that I did now. I'm a little farther now than I got in the demo, obviously. And I mean, I, I love it to, to talk about what Molly was asking, you know, like what makes this game stand out? It's Ulbrich. Ulbrich. We were both. We were both. Yeah, what I'm we? like, I, I literally pulled up the game on my Switch to <laughs> Ulbrich, check his name. Ulbrich. Uh, what I think makes this game stand out is obviously the visual, the visuals of this game are beautiful and gorgeous and they do some really fun things. But also, you know, it's a 16 bit looking JRPG from Square Enix. And that I think is very, very attractive in itself. Also, you know, the portable RPG world out there, I mean, 3DS is like dying. Not dying. That's that's not the right word. It's fading out. Um, Sunsetting. It's what? Sunsetting. Sun thank you. I love that. Um, the, the Vita is basically dead in the water. Sorry. So the Switch is one of the only handheld things out there that you can play these JRPGs on. And I think that has a lot of allure to it. Uh, I, I, love, I love it so far. I mean, these are the kind of game. This is the kind of game I grew up on. But like I said... Still very early on, I don't really know how the stories intertwine or the level of interaction the characters have, how you're... So, Simer, you might have a little bit more concrete evidence to back up your your feelings and thoughts on this game, because you've probably played more than I have. I haven't played more than you have, oh. but I have enjoyed everything I've been playing so far. Because, um, yeah, like, there's the... Not only is the art style charming and beautiful... I just, I, I agree with what Jay said. Like, there's something about having the JRPG on a portable that makes it a million times more appealing to me. Like, there's something about, I'm sitting here, like, and I'll, 
grind like through um like a forest or whatever to like level my people up and not mind that i'm doing it for whatever reason because it's like small and portable and i feel like my brain is okay with that because i used to play pokemon on a game boy and like it's a similar thing and so i can i can handle that but whenever i'm sitting on my couch and like on a big tv if i have to grind in those games i'm just like uh, like, I don't know what it is about it. It makes no sense. I'm literally doing the same thing, just on a smaller screen that I can carry around with me. Yeah. But but there was something about it, and there was something nice also. Um, it's been so hot here that I haven't been able to play regular games, so I can just take my Switch into my lovely air-conditioned bedroom and, like, lay on my bed and play. That's magical. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a good time. As to why the game is selling out, I think... I mean, Square Enix even had to issue an apology. I think someone mentioned that in one of these questions. Oh, really? Yeah, because in Japan, it's it's gone ski, man. And I think Amazon's <gasps> even backordered. <laughs> Buy know, digitally, people. Yeah, obviously, they underestimated the amount of people who would want this game, which I think is awesome. I think, like I said, the Switch is going to be the next JRPG bad boy machine factory that everyone's going to want to play their JRPGs on. Yes, please. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I can't help but wonder if the SD cards on the carts, if that hinders manufacturing at all, if that slows it down. I'm not sure if that causes bottlenecks, but no idea. It's, it's a Brit theory. I don't know if it's founded or not. Um, and then just so I tackle Jessica's question before any other suggestions for games like Octopath. So I don't know what consoles you have, Jessica, but I'm obviously you have a switch. So unfortunately there aren't a lot of JRPGs on the switch that I can think of. Like obviously Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is there. It's like an 80 hour time sink, which is, I mean, I think it's fun, but I ultimately quit. There's Lost Sphere and I am Setsuna. I would recommend I am Setsuna before. Lost Fear. And then I know there are other games on the Switch that are ports of other JRPGs that have released in the past, but I can get back to you when I've played more of those. Anyway. Anyway. Octopath Traveler. I love it. It reminds me of the games I used to play growing up, like I said. And it's just so beautiful. And it's so fun to look at. And it, the, the, the music and the sound is just... oh, And it's so cool to be on Twitter and watching my timeline. You know, there's a few games that release, like, major titles that everyone talks about, but I feel like every other tweet is people complaining that they don't have enough time to play Octopath Traveler. Like, maybe they have to go to work, or maybe they have to sleep, or maybe they're up till 4 a.m. playing it, but I feel like a lot of people are talking about this right now, and it's really fun to see. It's just... Yeah, what's been interesting to me is, so, I picked the Huntress to start with, because, duh, (laughs) if I can have a big cat, I'm gonna have a big cat. That's just (laughs) me. Um... But then, you know, Alana and a few other people were, like, making fun of me because her dialogue can be somewhat cringy. It's just, like, I don't mind it too much, but it's very old English and, oh, thou whomstest bloody blood. Like, you know, it's that kind of shit. And mm. you're like, all right, sure. I don't know why you're speaking so prim and properly when you are from a village in the middle of a forest, but... Okay. You do you. This is this is the, the, the thing we're dealing with here. Um But the Snow Leopard is just so damn good. He <laughs> just comes in there and fucks shit up. He's just like so is you're he, done. Is he a summon or is he fight alongside you? He's a summon, basically, but an, an unlimited summon. Ooh. So the the thing with the Huntress class, you obviously you can have an axe or a, a bow and arrow. And those, you can just cycle between those two in your attack, mm-hmm. squirrel or whatever. Then there's summon beast, and you can both summon like your snow leopard, who's always there, who you can summon an unlimited amount of times, 
Or if you're going through the woods, you can capture animal, like you can capture creatures that you uh, run into. If you like whittle them down, it's a little bit like Pokemon in that sense. You have to whittle them down a bit, get them vulnerable, capture them, and then you can summon them for a limited amount of times in fights in the future. So I have like a little stack of like uh, the pigs that are called mossy meeps or whatever will give you um, healing. They'll heal you for 500 points, which is more than you needed for the beginning of the game. And so I have a bunch of pigs. And then I have, like, a bunch of foxes that I captured because they do really good slashing damage. Like, so I have my little repertoire of forest creatures that follow me around. Uh, not You don't see them on screen, but, you know, you can kind of make it up in your head headcanon. Um, and so I find that really enjoyable. And then, of course, knowing me, the next person I had to go for was the thief. Because ah, yes. if I'm about anything in life, it's stealing shit. Not that I have stolen <laughs> anything in my actual life, but in video games, there's nothing more that I love to like live out that fantasy of what you if I was really good at rogue. this. It's true. I know. I really do. And I, I'm so I haven't. I know people will ask. I haven't played more Hero U yet um, because it's been too hot. Like I don't want to sit in this chair playing that game. I will melt. <laughs> but. Um, so yeah, so I'm enjoying that. I think the next person I'll get is the healer. Although, so I saw Sky Williams post this video about Primrose, mm-hmm. who you just got, yes? yes? And it made me rethink, because I was like, oh, there's probably no way I'm actually going to use Primrose. I love the I love the idea of her in my party, but like, what the fuck am I going to do with a dancer? I don't know. I don't know how to, like, I don't do a lot of buffs, debuffs mm. in my playstyle in JRPGs. I usually just go full aggro and like kill the thing before yeah. it kills me. Um... But he showed this clip of Primrose doing this weird dance thing that she has where it debuffs your party, but then also gives you an extraordinary boost of something else. Ah. So he went from level, I want to say it was 27 or 26, to level 34 in like a couple battles because her XP boost was so insane that it just like skyrocketed them. And I was like, holy Maybe I need to think about adding Primrose to my party. Yeah, she she has a very interesting backstory, and it's definitely you know adult themed, and it's it's very. I like what her. It, wait, what does that mean? Is she she's se- sexy? Sexy. She's essentially a whore, but she has yeah. her um, motivations for like doing a so. prostitute. The, yeah, they call her a, whore. a lady call- of. Yeah. They, what do they call it? Ill repute or something repute? A lady of the called? night. The terminal in the game, they're like, you're a whore. And she's like, yes, I am, but I own it. Obviously, she has her ulterior motives and she's doing, I think she's doing for a very noble cause. Um, and is she like Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. If that, if, if that's all, if, if you just say yes, I'm in. Yes. I've seen Have that. Have you seen maybe, Pretty Woman? It's been a hot minute. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years. So I, I, I don't know Primrose's story yet, so I cannot confirm. No, I will. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I like her as a character, but Stan, we're talking about like jumping levels. I was, okay. What's it? Olbrick? I can't remember. Olbrick. Olbrick. I can never remember his goddamn name. Olbrick. And I was in the beginning area, level, like level five or six. And then I came across this enemy and they're one of the enemies in RPGs where you only see like once every like 50 spawns. That if you kill them, which are they're very hard to kill, they give you a butt ton of XP and you level really quick. Oh, they have those in this? They do. And I encountered two of them within like minutes of each other. And so I went from level like seven to level like 21. <laughs> so really? I'm, I am way OP right now and I'm kind of upset about it because it's like part of the fun of JRPGs is to be, uh, 
you know, like I, I like the strategy in RPGs, JRPGs, turn-based battles, and being OP is fun to some extent. But after a while, it's like, okay, now I'm just killing everyone. I shouldn't have killed the second one I came across because now I'm like, wow, big boss man, demigod. Yeah, but your other guys aren't that level. No, poor Primrose. She's like a little pedal in the wind. <laughs> She's like She's level like, two with level twenty-one. Yeah, <laughs> pedal in the wind. That was a good joke, Britt. Thanks. Good job. But yeah, it's it's. I'm really enjoying it. I'm curious to see how because the I only have Primrose and Ulbrick. Um, and he has, and he, he's with Primrose, but he's not interacting with her in her story. Like she's having some moments and he doesn't pop. And now I understand when you have eight characters, it would be very hard probably to write specific dialogue for all Especially those. Especially cause you're not sure when they're. Exactly. You never, there's in, no yeah. order to how you have to get these, but I hope that there is some character interaction there where there is acknowledgement of some of the story elements going on. But if not, that's fine. I just hope there is some of that because I feel like that would be interesting to, for character building and getting to know these characters. But anyway, we'll see. I plan to play a lot of it this week and over the weekend and in the weeks to come. Very excited. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm. This is like scratching an itch that I didn't know I had. Yeah, I'm surprised you're so I mean, you're so into it because you just did a whole bunch of Persona 5-ing. Yeah, but again, it's because it's on the Switch. Like, yeah. I, it's the stupidest thing I've ever said out loud. But whatever it... I don't know what it is, but it makes a world of difference to me. Mm. For whatever reason, I'm like, brain is like, yes. Yeah. This, this thing is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I want to ask you to, as somebody who is very much like, you're going to have to maybe br- drag me kicking and screaming to this game. Even though I told, I told Greg, cause he and Jared were talking about it. I was like, oh, maybe I'll try it. And then I like promptly gave the code to Stimer. Um, <laughs> I appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> Listen, I'm here for you, my friend. The thing I want to ask is, um, in Molly's question, you know, she brings up the promise of a JRPG that's actually accessible to gamers that don't typically game in that genre. Like, what is it about Octopath Traveler that makes it accessible to gamers who aren't traditional JRPG players? Can you, like, give me any specifics? I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that statement she made. Like, I don't know that there is anything that would, if you don't like JRPGs, especially you, Andrea, you don't like them because of turn-based battles. That is exactly what this is. Like, you're not going to like that. I think if you look at a game that's like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which I say is the bar to entry, like, if you've never played a JRPG in your life, don't even try to, I mean, sorry, that's an, that's dramatic. Play the game, just expect for a huge learning curve. As someone who has been playing JRPGs her whole life, essentially, I even had a learning curve with that game. But with Octopath Traveler, it's simple in the sense that you have your attack prompt, you have specials, you have defend, flee, and items. And so it's not overly complicated. There are some mechanics in it where, you know, you can save up a few rounds and then unleash, like, a super move that's more powerful than, like, your basic attack. So maybe that's what she's saying. It's more accessible. Mm, It doesn't do anything that has... doesn't have... Been a ton of systems like yeah. oh it's not overloaded with systems it's the, sim- the systems are simplistic in the sense that they go back to the bare minimum of like what you would expect in a jrpg so yes it's jason okay. has actually been asking me about it he's like do you think i'll like it and i'm like no dude like you're someone who doesn't care about story and video games you're someone who doesn't care about characters i don't know why the hell but he is he downloaded it tonight because he's just so entranced by the the art and the music so i'm like all right you do you but i don't know if you're gonna like it so. Yeah, Andrew, because yours is so specifically tied to the battle system that I know you don't like, I don't think you would really get on with this game. Um, mm. 
I think you just get tired of it because like, you you are going to have to grind unless you do what Brit did and find these two random oh, things man. to auto level you to oblivion. Or if you do the weird primrose dance and get lucky and have like 10x XP on. <laughs> yeah. Just... Good times. It's fine. Nope. That's good. That's good to know. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just. Uh, it's okay. Based. We don't all have to like everything. Yeah. It's not that I universally hate turn-based battle systems. I just, most of the time in GRPGs, a lot of the systems are so obtuse. You just have to like spend so much time learning it instead of um, knowing how to do the battle and then just perfecting your skill at it. Like when I think about a shooter, you know, obviously I've been playing a lot more of the division. I think about how that system is easy to learn but difficult to master, right? Like, it takes, like, they're like, you have this selection of skills you can choose from. It's like turrets and grenades and all these other things, and then you have to learn how to combo them together and how to, when to use your water bottle uh, power-up, when to use your soda, when to deploy your health packs. Like, that's stuff that you can learn by just putting the pieces together, but learning those pieces is very like simple and on its face and the game explains it to you like very readily. Like you, it's just like a, you hover over the item, bam, all the information's right there. I feel like every time I've tried to play a JRPG and I don't know if this is just like a localization thing, um, or what, or if it depends on the developer, I feel like the systems are so difficult to learn and that I have to go look up walkthroughs or guides to figure out just how to play the game. How- and that's where I like that one extra step <laughs> is what makes me really frustrated. Now, I fully realize this is not every JRPG and that I'm kind of blanket statementing them and I apologize for that. But the thing is, is like those tiny hurdles in a world where there are thousands of video games to play are just enough to make me go, nah, I'm good. How many JRPGs have you played? Or attempted. Or attempted. Less than a dozen. And so I think... The, so you're talking about shooters in the division as if it's super easy. I would say that, that, I mean, obviously holding a trigger and pushing a button is easy to shoot. But I think that the whole point is like how people feel about games like The Division, you feel about JRPGs. I think it's once you've played a few JRPGs, they all use the basic system, and especially a game like Octopath Traveler, where this is about as basic as it gets. Like if you go to like Final Fantasy on the NES, like this is it, right? This is the same sort of thing. So I think it's more of... You probably going into games like I don't know how old you were you when you started playing JRPGs, but you know, growing up like that's definitely what I... in my twenties. Okay, so yeah, I never played JRPGs when I was a kid. So yeah, like tutorials, especially in older games. If you jumped into try to play in Final Fantasy Nine, like probably I mean that's pretty simple too. But there are more options, and it's a little bit more of a complicated of a game. So I think it's just more of the fact that you haven't played enough JRPGs to really get the foundation built. You know, it's kind of like shooters. Like, every game can be a shooter, but each shooter has its certain different tweaks about it that you can master in different mechanics. And the same goes with JRPGs. Yeah, I will say, I mean, I agree with Britt. I think the... um You wouldn't have a hard time in the battle systems in, in terms of learning them. That's... You'd be fine, because everything... Items are very, everything has a descriptor on it. You know exactly what it does. So I know before you were saying when you were trying to play one of the older Final Fantasies, you were like, what the fuck does this thing do? Yeah, yeah, no, when I was trying to play Final Fantasy IX, I had to have Alexa Ray sit next to me and explain every single item because 
the button pr- there there was apparently the somebody wrote in and said that there was like a button prompt that will give you like the text of what everything does but i didn't know what that was and i couldn't find that button prompt like in the control scheme in the settings right yeah no you would not have that issue here everything is very well explained you don't like everything in the inventory when you hover over it says exactly what it does it's like okay this increases my maximum hp okay this heals uh heals me this heals the whole group this heals a single person like it's very clear what everything does it has a stupid name right it's like inspiriting plum you're like what the fuck is that but then you just hover over it and it's like oh this increases the sp to a single ally okay like why do you have such weird names but yeah yeah see but but that's my point is like how many different items are there steimer um right now there's like a couple different kinds of grapes those all heal you plums which add sp why can't there just be what's SP? SP is your magic points. Yeah, so every every JRPG has your hit points, you know, your health and your your magic. And there's always going to be items that heal your health and items that heal your magic. You're going to have items that resurrect yeah, you. Yeah, like your mana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're going to have items that cure blindness and silence and stone or paralyze like and those are things See, that there's are There's already too many there's not, already too much going on. Like why do I have to be blind? You're What's not going to need them often, but it's good to have those items with you because occasionally, like, you'll run up against an enemy that will do these things and then you can clear them away. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have these items if you don't want. You could still continue and wait for the debuff to go away, but it's just it makes the battle a lot easier. Um, so, like, that you wouldn't have a problem with. Uh, the battle system itself is fairly straightforward. The only thing that they do that's sort of different slash interesting is each enemy has a little shield icon next to them, and it has a number. So the shield has one. It means you need to do one vulnerability damage to them uh, in order to break that shield. Or if it's like a boss, it'll be like it'll be a six, and you have to kind of whittle away their shield before you can do mega damage to them. Uh, and each one also has a few boxes of, like, question marks because you don't know what their vulnerability is when you first start out. But then as you... So say I hit somebody with an axe and they are vulnerable to the axe. It will now, anytime I meet that enemy, show me that they are vulnerable to this axe. And it will take away a shield point while it's damaging. Um, so And then once you've broken their shield, it's like, break! And they, like, get little dizzy things above their head and they're vulnerable and then you can do all the damage and you can't necessarily murder them in one shot but sometimes you can depending on how weak they are Are so that's kind of like the thing that's that's the that's the mechanic of the game that would take you about 10 minutes to learn is just like oh i have to figure out what damages these people's shields but then once you know you're good i think i'm hopeless Nah. I think I am. I think I, even just listening to you explains and thank you so much because like I know that there's people out there like me who are just like Japanese role playing games are just like a foreign land. They're just like, I don't play them. I don't know about them. I don't care about them. And there are people out there like you, Brit, who are like, I've been playing JRPGs my entire life. They are like the thing that keeps me warm at night. They're as Steimer likes to say, a hug, uh, you know, and it's just like, 
it's interesting to me, and that's what I, I think is so wonderful and fantastic about video games is that there's so many different styles of games that we all can find a genre that we really gravitate towards and love, and that genre can change, you know, over time. Maybe as kids we love something, and as adults we love something else. Um, and I just like it's one of those things that I keep trying to force myself to try because as somebody who talks about video games for a living, you know, I always told myself it's necessary to at least dabble in everything to try it out. I just don't know why this is the one genre out of every genre that I just cannot really force myself to get into. Every time I pick it up and try it, I'm like, I'm so bored and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're bored by it, that's one thing. If it's just like, I don't understand the mechanics and I don't care to, obviously that's another part of it. You have to be drawn to this sort of game and enjoy this sort of combat because it is turn-based it can be slow but it can also there's a lot of strategy that goes into it but yeah i mean you know if i were trying to get you know someone who only plays call of duty to play freaking earthbound they'd be like what the hell is this boring ass bullshit why is everything moving so slow and that's okay like i said that's the beauty of video games different strokes different folks uh, stroke. indeed um, speaking of video games, that was a weird segue. Um, I have, uh, I neglected last week when I was talking about all of the things that I downloaded for my Switch when I was on my trip to mention that I also downloaded Mario Tennis Aces. So this is a game that came out a couple of weeks ago, and this is another, um, code that Nintendo sent over and the folks over at Kind of Funny had been talking about this game forever and I was like kind of jealous that they got this game super early and I was like oh, I want to be playing it but then now that I'm playing it I'm like oh this game is fun but like it's not a game that I feel compelled to pick up and play all the time and I don't know if that's because I never have really been drawn to the Mario sports games or if it's because something about the gameplay loop isn't as rewarding as I'd like it to be. And I think a lot of that has to deal with the fact that I haven't really dug into fine-tuning my skills with the mechanics of the tennis matches and particularly, like, learning how to use the the special moves. Because right now I feel like I'm kind of back in the days of when I used to play Wii Tennis where I'm just, like, I'm just winging it. You're just like, you got your little wrist flick. You just got, you're like, oh, I'm going to slice it here. I'm going to do this move here. But in reality, it doesn't matter. You're just kind of winging it the whole time and just like hoping for the best. And I feel like that's the way that I've been playing Mario Tennis Aces. Every time I go through, you know, you have these like special quirks on each of the levels. Like one of the levels that has me hung up right now is uh, a level with the booze. We're like in a haunted mansion and there's these weird mirrors that if you bounce the ball into the mirror, it like swallows it and spits it out in another section of the court. And, um, I can never figure out how to block against like the, the strike moves, uh, the power shot moves. And I, I feel like there's just some layer of the learning process that I just haven't taken the time to do. And I just am kind of button mashing. Away in a way, and tennis is really not a game you should probably button mash. Um, have either of you two played it? I haven't played it, but a common uh, concern I had been reading about was that it gets really hard, and there are some random ass difficulty spikes. Have you come across any of that? Yeah. So, and the, the thing about and there there was just a story out today that they're nerfing. I think uh, Koopa Junior. Oh uh, no! Who are they nerfing? The fact that they have to nerf something in a Mario tennis, tennis game is kind of funny to me. Welcome to 2018. 
They're nerfing Bowser Jr. Excuse uh. me. I don't know why I said Koopa Jr. <laughs> um, so it includes, uh, this is the patch apparently that everybody wants. Um, and so like, this is the thing that, um, so John played this game start to finish and he was kind of the one that was like, oh, why haven't you played this yet? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll get to it. I'm playing, you know, I was playing Zelda and Inside and hating my life playing Crash, uh, Bandicoot. <laughs> Um, and um, so I finally you know got to uh, Mario Tennis Aces and I think the reason why people are getting a little frustrated is because it's not just tennis they kind of throw these weird modifiers in uh, when you get to different matches because they're like themed after the characters who you're playing against right and uh, like for example I was saying like it was the booze were in this haunted mansion there are these weird mirrors that like eat the tennis balls and spit them out like portals and it only gets more difficult as you progress through the game. And so it kind of takes the skill-based system out of it and puts in this random difficulty that you have literally no control over that you just kind of have to, like, hope for the best. And I see that's why people can get frustrated because when you bring in that element of chance into a game that's so based on skill – it gets really frustrating because you're like, listen, I've got the skills I need to pass this level. You're implementing an element of chance that's forcing me to fail in a way that I can't prevent. And that is what leads to frustration on the part of players. And I think that's where people are upset. That makes sense. But other than that, the game is fun. I haven't played any multiplayer so far. And I feel like uh, based off the people I've talked to that have played, that's where the game really shines is that people have really been enjoying the kind of head to head that you can do. I, like I mentioned, haven't tried it yet. There is going to be a tournament, a Mario Tennis Aces tournament online in August. Um, apparently, people are also hoping that there is going to be nerfs to Waluigi and Boo. Oh, poor Waluigi. <laughs> he just can't get an effing break. He's in a well, game. I mean, he's a bad guy. Him. He's a villain. I know, but he has a troubled past. No one loves Waluigi. Waluigi is underrepresented in Nintendo titles. He needs his own game. Him and... Wario need their own little like spin-off thing where they go off. And- what if they what if they had a like a Paper Mario RPG but it was them? <gasps> I would play the shit out of that. Wouldn't that be super fun? Oh my god. I would on the Switch. I mean Waluigi. He's he's nowhere to be found. He's not even in Smash Brothers. Everyone wants Waluigi. He's the bad guy. But he's wah, wah. he's always so picked on. No there's no love for the man. I feel bad for him. I really do. He's just lost. He has no love. He's just lost. He's he's misunderstood, and I'll leave it at that. Sorry, that was a rant. Fair enough. Well, I was just reading a tweet about people talking about nerfing. Nerf, nerf, nerfing the, Bowser Junior. Remember the nerf football? Everyone's back in the day? very upset. Very upset mm. about Bowser yes. Junior. Um, but I'm looking forward to playing more. Um, probably gonna jump in. I am reminded of just how annoying the friend code system is. Man, I love my Switch. It is great. Kudos to Nintendo for creating a piece of hardware that is addictive and infectious and wonderful and that tons of people are buying. But man, that friend code system is a pain in the booty. That's what Nintendo does. So I tried to pull up my friend code on the Nintendo online app because they made this supposedly handy app that you can do things with and no your friend code not listed in the app what no word add friend codes in the app you really? have to use your nintendo switch like you have to physically have your console in your hand to look up your friend code see and i was like 
This seems like a gigantic mistake. Hopefully, Time to put a if, note on your phone. That's what your friend code is so that you can have it on the go. No, you do. You have to have it. And so, like, I think if anybody from Nintendo out there is listening, if the one request I could make would be when you launch the online service in its entirety in the fall, which I believe September is the date, right, that all this is going live, mm-hmm. please make it available to add friends and look up your friend code from the app. Literally every other system has it available. Mm. It's not that much to ask. Maybe it's just like, it's just a setting in your profile. I can look up my profile settings in the app. Oh, I can't look at my friend code. I don't know. Maybe also overhaul your entire online chat and app thought entirely. That's a little bit more of a, well, that's a much bigger ask, but sure. Since we're making requests, but why break the perfectly (laughs) round wheel? Why put chips in it if it rolls perfect on its own? I don't understand. Also, a tip for the Switch Switch people out there. I So I play my Switch docked and undocked. And when you play it docked, there's obviously no little headphone jack in the Pro Controller, which is what I play on. So what I learned, and this is common knowledge, but apparently I was not made aware of it, that your PlayStation Gold headsets with a USB dongle, it works on the Switch. So you can go ahead and use that if you want to use headphones while you're playing the Switch docked. It's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah, it was wonderful. I'm like, how am I going to do this? And I went to the Google machine and I found out that you can use a wide variety of headsets that have USB uh, connectivity and whatnot. And they also just, someone out there is making a dongle. So if you want to do wireless, also you can. I saw the Bluetooth dongle. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Why not put a freaking audio jack on your, okay. I love Nintendo so much. I really do. I want the best for them. I want the best for them. We're all fine. I also very painfully bit the bullet and bought the Splatoon Joy-Cons, the Ooh. neon pink and green oh. ones. Because um, John and I keep mixing up our Switches because we both just have like the standard gray Joy-Cons that come with the Switch. And so he's like, somebody has to get different Joy-Cons so we know who switches who. <laughs> and I was like, I'll do it. I want the pink ones. Perfect. I've um, always I've- really wanted the SNES looking ones. Mm. That you can get off Etsy. The custom painted ones. But they $180. Jeez. Jeez Louise. Yikes. I thought Yikes. 80 bucks was enough, like, was outrageous. $79.99 for new Joy-Cons? That's a racket, Nintendo. Don't lose one racket, behind the couch. I tell you. But they look so pretty. Oh, God, they do. Oh my gosh, they're really pretty. Oh, look at how they cute look they so are. They look so good. I oh. want them so bad. Oh my gosh, I can't even right now. No. Um, I'm like, one day I'll budget for it and buy it, but today's not that day. Uh, Britt, do you want to talk about what happened with Vampire? Or do you... Or, or yeah. Do you, too, too upset. <coughs> no, I, I, I'm I'm kind of upset, but I, I want a temperature check on this. So... Okay. I am playing Vampire. I played Vampire. And I did it in the way that I didn't kill people. And as I've talked about, you feed on the blood of civilians, you kill people, you get a lot of XP, you can unlock some really cool skills that you don't necessarily need, but it makes your life so, so much easier. Problem with that is you kill too many people, the health level of each district can fall, and if it goes below critical, people will start myth- go missing, they will start dying, you will lose side quests, which means you lose XP. Now, if you're doing a no-kill run like I am, you cannot afford for that to happen because you have to do all the side quests possible so you can get XP. You're scrounging for XP. Like, I am, like, on my hands and knees, like, plucking it off the ground. I'm like, give me all of your XP. So, it, with that said, I had to I had to spec my character, Jonathan Reed, very carefully. So I gave him a lot of stamina. 
I gave them a lot of health and I had two skills that I perfected just so I could like get through the game because it is difficult when you don't kill people and that's the whole point of the game. So I'm at the second to last boss battle and I'm not going to spoil anything so don't worry. But the spike in difficulty got pretty freaking intense. Now that's okay. I, you know, I like to go through fights again and again, especially if it's, if it's hard for the sake of being hard, I'm not about it. But if I know I can win, I just have to get good. That's fun to me. The problem is, is that the idea is that you're a vampire and you can't really be killed, obviously, unless you get like a stake to the heart. So every time you die in a battle, you just kind of spawn again in the midst of black mist and bats or whatever the fuck it is vampires do. So what happens is the game is like, all right, well, since you actually d- technically didn't die and we're not restarting the scenario, you still, you've lost all of your items. You don't have your ammo that you used in the fight before you. You don't have any of the resources that you used in that fight. You have to start from zero. Now, I hate- No, thank you. Yeah. And so I think that's such a design flaw because the problem is, is that in order to craft health, you, to, in order to like have health on hand, you have to craft it, which means you have to go to- your room, which granted where this fight took place wasn't too far away, but you have to go to a room and craft it. Now, in order to craft it, you need materials. In order to get those materials, you have to go around the city killing things and grinding for those materials. Yes, Timer. Can you not time. reload a save? No. You can't manually save this game. <gasps> it auto saves. I mean, that's my understanding. I, not, at one oh. point, I never. No, there's no manual no. save. So it's, it's not like, it's not like in most games where it's like, okay, you walk into a room, you see like a save icon. You're like, all right, there's a fight that it's about to go down. It auto sure. saves. So the problem I faced was I was asking. Can you turn the console off really quick and try and like, have you ever done that where you try and cheat it? You're like, oh, fuck, I could have turn it off. And so, turn it off. And so, okay. And so also, like, to to succeed in this boss fight, I needed a lot of ammo. Now, the problem is, is that you can buy ammo from merchants, but you have to run around the districts, all the districts, to buy ammo from different merchants. It doesn't take a long time to do that. Maybe, like, four to five minutes to get from one end of the dis- from one end of the map to the other. There's no fast travel in this game. But then what you have to do in order to replenish those ammo supplies is you have to sleep at night, at which point, every time you sleep and you wake up, people are sick again, and then you have to craft serums in order to save those people. Anyway... It got to a point where I was... Sounds exhausting. Now, I love Vampire. I played this game all day and happily did so because I was so into it. From the story and the characters and the setting, I was all about it. But the pacing was so good. I'm like, okay, if something's going to happen, this is going to be an awesome fight. I know I'm getting toward the end. I'm really excited to see what happens. And then it's like, okay, hard stop. We're putting on the brakes. You have to craft more medicine. You have to go sleep so you can buy more ammo. And the loading screens on the Xbox One aren't the quickest. And so it was just really more of like it disrupted the flow and it made me so frustrated because there's no way I was going to defeat this boss without a drinking the blood of the civilians, which if you do so, another little wrench in it, there are four endings in Vampire. Good ending, okay ending, sad ending, worst ending. If you kill any of the citizens, you get the worst endings. Well, not the worst. You get the less than perfect ending. So I'm like, I don't want to drink the blood of civilians, but I don't have enough patience to go around grinding for these materials just for another shot at the boss, which I might end up dying, and then I'm going to have to do it all over again. So I kind of rage quit, and I just pulled up YouTube and watched the final, like, 20 minutes of the game and watched the cutscenes, and I'm like, okay, that ended very well, and I I was pleased with the ending I would have gotten and whatever, but, (sighs) wow, that was therapeutic. Wow, it's crazy to think after all of the time that you put into uh, the game that 
that one little hang up made you go, fuck it, I'm going to YouTube. Because I don't know that I would call that a little hang up. That seems like a substantial amount of annoyance. I think that in the annoying part is that you lose all the resources you use in the boss fight. Now, if I could go downstairs and just buy everything instantly and replenish and go back up, no problem. But it was going to be a matter of me wandering downtown, killing bad guys to get one part of this ingredient so I can create health potions. And you have to get different levels of those ingredients from different enemies. So unless I was doing something totally wrong, it would be like a literal grind for a chance to fight this boss, which was very difficult because I was doing a no-kill run. Um, And so, yeah, I was like, I'm not willing to put in the time to try to have an attempt at this boss, which is probably going to kill me until I, quote, get good, like, five or six tries in and learn the patterns of it. Uh, right, and I wasn't trying to be reductive. No. That wasn't my intent in my in my, in my my statement about, like, oh, it's just, like, a little thing. Like, you know, like, you explaining it and saying, like, I can't imagine my frustration if, for example, I had gone into the Ganon fight with, like, all of the supplies that I had and I used, like, all of these potions or I used all these elixirs and all of these meals and, like, I broke three weapons or whatever, like, and then, like, I didn't beat him and then it kicked me out and I had lost everything that I used in the fight and I had to go, like, get all that shit again. Oh, yeah. I'd be fucking pissed. And I probably would have done the same thing you did. It's just, like, it's kind of heartbreaking to hear because so much of what Don't Nod does is all about handcrafting this narrative experience through the choices that you make. And you very clearly made specific choices because you wanted your playthrough to be a very certain way. And the idea that you get all the way to like the final moments of the game and that this one mechanic ruins it for you is kind of shitty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was unfortunate. And I mean, there's always, I could have spent the time to do it. I could have spent the time to get good, but I just, I don't feel like I have the time or patience to no, do that right now. Don't put the blame on yourself. You shouldn't be expected to know how to do the boss fight on the first try. And then they paint, penalize you by taking away all of your resources while you're learning how to do the boss fight. I mean, that that's like video games 101. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you. But yeah, it, it's, I mean, the game is, I would definitely recommend it. You know, if I want to go through and be a, a butthole and kill and eat everyone, I could be super powerful and enjoy it. I mean, there are a few things, um, not to spend too much time on this, that, you know, this was a don't nod game. I feel like the character interactions that you have, they're very great and they're all very well thought out, obviously, but there's really no consequence to not interacting with them besides the fact you might just not get a side quest which leads to experience points at the end of the game you don't find out what happened to these characters specifically they never move they don't have their own lives they don't develop or grow in any way shape or form um so i would say this is like a very good like solid like good job on your first you know game like this and i'm excited to see how they can improve going forward um definitely i would say maybe don't use the same mechanic in a game ever again Just don't just don't do that one thing and it'll be good. That just seems super mean. Like I don't understand why I think they like re- why when you're like, "Oh, well, you know, you, there's re- you know, you're a vampire so you'll just come right back." Like, yeah, that's how video games are. Like you just come right back. Doesn't matter if you're a vampire or if you're a woman hunting dinosaurs made out of robot materials. Like it's just like this is how games work. We all know this. Yeah. So the idea that it's just like I'm going to take away all your stuff just because 
Yeah, I think they really want you to feed on citizens and develop these awesome skills that I'm sure they put tons of time into developing and balancing and working out. Then why make the perfect game ending something where you don't do that? It's very, yeah, it was not super easy to achieve it. And um, yeah. Have you seen online any other people complaining about this? Yes, a lot of people. Because I was like, is this just me? Like, I know some games, like shooters, I'm not that great at naturally. So I'm like, okay, is this just me being bad at this combat? Or did I do something wrong? Um, and there are a lot of people and there are, you know, a fair amount of people who are saying like, yeah, it took some time, but I was able to do it after trying it or just get good. But then there were most of the people saying this is a bad design choice. Why did you do this? This isn't fair, especially since, you know, the ammo doesn't come back. There's very limited resources. Um, and every time you die, there is a prompt that says, if you're finding yourself basically, I'm paraphrasing, if you find yourself in a difficult battle, feed on the blood of citizens and get XP. So it definitely wants you to. And in the very beginning of the game, you know, I'm not spoiling anything here. You learn your mesmerize skill, which is where you can lure people into probably back alleys and feed on them. I didn't do it, so I don't totally know. But the, but the game doesn't tell you that if you do this, you're screwing up the perfect ending at all. It actually encourages you to do it. So I, it, it doesn't really tell you. Yeah, that's, that's another minor complaint is it doesn't really tell you how the game works as you're playing it. You don't really know the consequences of your actions until you've actually done them. And design choice, and when you're making decisions, when you're talking to people, you know, like Life is Strange, you you say one thing, it greatly impacts the story or the fate of that character. I feel like all those choices were meaningless. Like the things I said, I didn't suffer the consequences of whatever I said. You know, maybe you just won't unlock a hint, which is only beneficial if you, when you unlock hints, you get more XP for eating the people, is all it does. But it doesn't impact the story in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah. It, it was a great... I, I don't want to say great. It was a good game by Don't Nod. And I'm excited to see how they can improve going forward. There are some things that just seem like they were tacked on for the sake of being tacked on and have an interesting conversation. But a Don't Nod game, I feel like there's an expectation of consequence. And there really wasn't, except for if you eat Well, the people. consequence w- seems to be mainly just tied to the to the people eating. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> now I'm thinking of the song of One-Eyed, One-Horned, Flying for Purple People Eater. But, um... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but I find it weird that they basically be like... Well, this perfect ending you only get if you don't do the main core mechanic of our game. Yeah. And we're going to encourage you to do this main mechanic because we want you to do it. Yeah. But also, if you want a happy, happy ending, like, don't do it. Like, that's just the part that seems a little bit off to me. Right. No, it definitely is a little, like, head-scratcher. And uh, I played this game more as a, a fan more than a critic because I think if I played it more as a critic, I would probably... Certain things would have driven me up the walls. Obviously, you're seeing some of that right now, but... I would say go into this game, you know, it, I would say like the sevens, it's getting, that's about right. Maybe even a little less for certain aspects, but you know, there, there is an interesting story here and I was very compelled. Like I said, I played this game all day on certain days and I love doing it. And I never was like, I'm bored. I gotta take a break. It's like, I want to play more, but there are some major mechanic flaws. Anyway. Huh. Thanks ladies. That was therapeutic. I've been bottling that up since like Friday. Oh no. <laughs> no, it's fine. It felt good. Well, we're happy to be your cathartic release. Um, on that note, why don't we all take a cathartic release in the form of a short break? When we come back, we're going to be talking about some nerdy things. Maybe some things related to Comic-Con. Maybe we're going to be taking your questions. It's going to be a cornucopia of awesome conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
everybody. Welcome back. It is segment three of the What's Good Games podcast. And now this is the point of the show and the time of the month where we give a magnificent shout out. Thank you. A gracious gratitude to... I know that was a little drawn out. <laughs> to our lovely Turbo patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games. We would not be here at what's good games without our fantastic Patreon community. If for some chance you are able to contribute even just $1 a month, we would appreciate that. You can find out all of our awesome tiers and everything that you get with um, Patreon membership again at patreon.com slash what's good games. But now we're going to read a bunch of names. So we're going to try not to screw up. Britt, are you ready? Always and forever. Here we go. I'm going to lead us off with a big thank you to our longtime sponsor, Mr. Alex Rogopoulos. Lincoln Davis. Ferris Atay. Tom Book. David I. Colucci. Steven Insler. Martha J. Emery. Kia Bright. Misteo Villegas. Andrew S. Kathy Lucas. Molly Bittner. Timothy Bennett. Alberto Videla. Steph Wu. Regan Impson. Bill Stillwell. Dustin Lewis. Tara Bruno. Zach Hershey. Kyle Heyman. Amar Dillon. Sheon Stevenson. Jessica Salisbury. Aaron J. Saxton. Michael Shanholtz. Gary Welburn. Benjamin Pardew. Oh, mate. He's <laughs> RJ Bryan. He's in Australia. Trevor Stanky. Jason Demers. Joe. I know that guy. I know, he's pretty cool. Joe Schlieff. Maxwell Kramer. Tom Coots. Elmo Shell. Jared Howard. Tyler McCall. Kyle Peterson. Joselle Bassa. Muhammad Muhammad. Namich Bui. Jeff Hutchinson. Jason Davis. Oh boy. Bo Heerholzer. I'm sorry, dude. You did it! Gregory Horton. <laughs> e. Irizari. Lucas Cheney. Robert Gerrero. Mark Dastrup. Jennifer McNichol. John Drake. I know that guy. Joe Kennison. Emily Kent. Trent Pennington. Jason Erickson. No clip. Ariella Furman. Adam Rapone. Kevin Dunkel. Billy Shibley. Stephanie Fitzwilliams. Sam. <laughs> Jesse Spencer. Two Guardians and a Bray and the Hive. Um, I don't know who you are, but I love that you put that in as your Patreon That's name. That's amazing. Uh, Tommy Larson. Ross Haney. Kevin Komaki. Nicole Humphrey. Brooke Lurie. Asia Harris. Anthony Muffy. Kyle Somerville. Chandler. From Friends? Adrian yeah. Williams. <laughs> Pure Blue Octopus. Blah, blah, blah. What's my octopus sound? <laughs> Peach Shoemaker. Sydney Carr. Gio Corsi. Roland Bala. Bala. Paige Porter. Marcus Brown. Mikey Phillips. Materia Addict. Jay Mahui. Matthew Gorer. Martin T. Asarud. Leviathan Masters Barella. You guys have some pretty kick-ass oh, names. Shit. Shane Rayum. Matt Howell. Ozzy Mejia. Ozzy. Christian Rodriguez. Tim Ross. Lewis Creech. E. Chenkins. Dale Chekis? E. Chekis. Yeah. <laughs> Dale Sun. Donato Sinichio Third. Tony Han. Han. Maddie Whitman. Teresa Inner. The best person ever. She birthed us Andrea Renee. It's true. She, she did. did. That's true. She birthed me. 
She birthed you. It's my mom. Uh, thank you to all of our fantastic Turbo patrons. We love you guys. You're great. This is a very fun moment for us each month, getting to recount how many names have been with us since day one and how many new names we get to read each month, people who have just found What's Good Games and who are choosing to support everything that we do here. Again, you know, a lot of people that I know that have Patreons, I see putting out messages saying, I don't say it enough and I don't promote it enough, like how much we need your support. And I can't stress the, the echoing that sentiment that we could not do what's good games without you guys. And having you guys as part of our amazing Patreon community means so much to us. And um, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We love you. Love you. Heart emojis. Um, and on that note, we are going to start the third segment. So because it's Comic-Con week and I'm at Comic-Con doing a bunch of panels and shit, which we already talked about, um, we thought it would be fun to maybe talk about some nerdy stuff that we love, some Comic-Con memories, some of our favorite comic book movies, and kind of just kind of make it a discussion about um, why we love being nerds and part of nerd culture kind of in general and kind of keeping it loose and having a good time and seeing where the conversation goes. Um, we had somebody write in to Dear WGG, one of our Patreon tiers, Brandon Gunn. He says, hello, what's good? I'm sure you'll cover this naturally at some point, but I was just curious if there's anything gaming related you're looking forward to at Comic-Con, aside from professional responsibilities, of course. Thanks for taking my questions if you do and have a wonderful day. Um, so this is a great question. It's been interesting watching Comic-Con coverage change over the years. When I first started covering Comic-Con, I think my first Comic-Con was 2011. Almost all of the coverage I did back then was purely um, TV and movie related. Um, and if it had like a video game tie-in, it wasn't just video game specific. And it's been really fun kind of seeing how comic books in general are really merging with video games as a medium. We're seeing lots of franchises that existed first in the video game realm expanding their lore into not only comic books, but into TV and movie as well. Like A, a prime example, of course, was the first Comic-Con panel I ever hosted, Assassin's Creed, and how that universe has really just exploded over the last five years and all of the supplementary lore that you can now find Um that's being produced by a variety of content creators, not just the original writing team, right? There's so many hands that are um, in that world, which I think is really exciting. And we're seeing a lot of other properties that are doing cool stuff there as well. Like I, the idea that Adult Swim is going to be there doing a pool panic tournament. So cool. It's like, that's, that's wild, you know, this, this thing that's going to be at, at Comic-Con. And it's been, it's been really cool. Like one of my favorite memories of, of, of stuff that I've done at Comic Con was actually this Assassin's Creed, uh, obstacle course that they set up like American Ninja oh, Warrior. Yeah. And they actually got, I remember that. Uh, yeah, right. And they got Casey, one of the amazing, uh, female stars from American Ninja Warrior to come and like run the thing. And I was just like, uh, please don't make me run when she's running because <laughs> I'll embarrass myself. Um, but it was really fun. They're doing so many weird activations and crazy wild things this year. Like one of the things that I got a press release for was about Deadpool 2. So they're putting out a new director's cut. They have a special name for it. Let me look it up, the press release, so I, I, I don't screw this up. Fantastic. And they're doing an activation at the Hard Rock Hotel where they are taking over a suite and designing it so it looks like Deadpool's apartment in the movie. 
And one lucky fan is going to get the opportunity to spend the night in the suite on Saturday. That sounds um, cool. Which I thought was like a really cool activation for them to do. So they have a panel in Hall H, of course, on Saturday at 5.15 where stars from the movie will be there, including Ryan Reynolds. And they're going to talk about some of the new things that they're going to be Here's what, here's, let me read from the press release that I got. It says, Deadpool drops the ultimate deuce in the gas lamp. <laughs> now with more splash, the Horton Grand Theater plays host to the world premiere screening of Deadpool 2 Super Duper Cut. And then it's got a bunch of like, um, symbols, which is clearly like meant to represent some kind of expletive in the title, featuring 15 minutes of never before seen footage, including deleted scenes, alternate jokes, and extended takes. Tickets to the screening are available for Saturday and weekend-long Comic-Con badge holders only. Head to the sales pavilion at 9 a.m. on Saturday for your chance to get your hands on. And a certain time-traveling psychopath lets slip that there may be a few special guests in attendance. Uh, And then there's a super-duper Deadpool dance party. Uh, which is kind of crazy. And then the Dream Suite, which is what I was talking about. So this is being put on by Voodoo Movies and TV, who have partnered with 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment to host the sweepstakes to stay in the Dream Suite, which has half-finished IKEA furniture and pop culture Easter eggs that more than you could shake a katana at, not to mention all of the non-adult movies the winner could ever watch, courtesy of Voodoo. Um, so like, that's what I love about Comic Con is that there's these wild things that people can go do. And what's been great over the last couple of years is that more and more of them don't require you to have a Comic Con badge because there's 250,000 people that hit the streets of San Diego for Comic Con and there's only so many badges. And I think it's really great when movie companies or game companies will put out these really cool experiences for people who are like, hey, I couldn't, I didn't get lucky. I don't want to pay a scalped price for a badge. You know, can I still partake? And there's a lot of cool stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, either of you have like a, a favorite game or a favorite thing that you've seen at Comic-Con? You guys uh, did a really cool project there once, we right? We did, yeah. So I've been to one Comic-Con and that was when Simon and I were recording a pilot for a thing that never took off the ground, like most things in Hollywood and Los Angeles television or however the hell, whatever. Um, and it was, it was Steimer and myself and Rachel Moore, who is known for cosplay and she has a YouTube channel. And we were shooting a pilot for a show about us in the video game industry and how we, what we do in it and whatnot. And so part of that was we got to do some of the fun stuff at Comic Con. So we did the Black Ops 3 escape room. And I think that was in 2015. That was super fun. Yeah. Yeah. The zombies was- escape room. Yeah, that was awesome. And that was my very first escape room. And that turned me on to escape rooms. And now I just love them so freaking much. We should totally do one as a, quote, team building yes. effort, quote, when we're all in the, the same city again. Uh, so we got to do that, which is really, really cool. We got to do, um, oh, what was, was it Square Enix? It was like a zipline thing. What was the zipline That for? could have been a Tomb Raider thing. I think it was a Square no, I don't Enix. Think it was. It wasn't, no? Okay. Wasn't it for Just Cause? Just Cause. Maybe, yes. Yeah. Just Cause it was. Three, right? Yeah, yeah, because you guys go down the zip line while holding a gun or a rifle, yeah, mm-hmm. and like shooting stuff or pretending to. And that was fun. That, what was so cool about that was I had never done anything like that before in terms of sh- shooting a pilot and being with like a TV production crew. You know, we had to do the interviews and they had us all mic'd up, and I was like, oh, this is so weird and new to me. And that was super memorable. And I still have that sizzle reel somewhere. But maybe I can find it and I can post it. Um, I want to yeah. see it. It was also really fun. Like we did fun video game things, but I think one of the most fun was we ha- we shot a segment where it was just me and you in the hotel room, 
And you were forcing me to play Outlast, Outlast I think it was. <laughs> yeah. And that was a lot of fun. That, that sounds like really a Britney fun. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. So that was a really fun memory. And I and I think, Sam, you were with me when I bought my um, Harvest Moon chicken. I was. And I saw that and it was love at first sight. And that was a really I think bad idea. I have idea. it in a vlog somewhere. Yeah. It was a bad idea because it didn't fit my suitcase. So I had to carry that thing on the airplane with me. And I got a lot of weird looks. But that's fine. I mean, isn't that just like your life in general? Yeah, basically. Yeah, actually, it is. Give weird looks from people on the airplane. <laughs> but I would like, love- why is that woman drank so many uh, Maker's Marks? She looks like she's had too much. Too much, and she has a weird chicken in her lap. It's fine. All is fine. But I would like to go back to another San Diego Comic Con. It always seems, it's never been a con that I prioritize, mostly because it's just, you know, I, you know, PAX is around the corner in the summer. We tend to do a lot of travel. But I would like to go back and plan on going back for these little fun out, out of the convention events that you, we've been talking about. They're so fun. There was so many fun random things to do. Yeah. I was like, I think that Comic Con with you was probably one of the highlights. I've been to several, but I think the one I also really enjoyed almost equally as much was one where I did almost nothing. Nice. <laughs> so like, I literally just, I did nothing to do during the days. So I got to just hang out at the hotel, pool, whatever sleep in and then in the evenings they had a bunch of parties to go to so i literally just went to parties all weekend and that was Not the bad. best it's like vacation yeah, yeah it's it's it interesting was. i've had such a random comic-con experience um over the years you know having gone with a variety of companies and done i uh, done really cool things like working for xbox and doing the red carpet with the game of thrones cast and being able to host all these tv panels but then i've also done like what steimer did and had like one panel that i did and like the rest of the time i was like well i guess i'm here now and i'm just gonna like walk the show floor because you can only walk the floor so many times because at certain times of the day it's just like the crush of people it becomes super overwhelming that you just even don't want to be on the floor anymore and also like everything's so expensive and all the cool stuff gets sold out on preview night anyway um and so it's like how much extra space in my luggage do i have to like buy stuff you know and um uh, going to the events is really fun, but I just like kind of love walking around um, in the gas lamp of San Diego, just kind of like looking at the amazing cosplay. I know I've never been to Dragon Con, which is kind of like the gold standard for cosplay, but the cosplay at San Diego Comic Con is super next level. I've just seen so many amazing creations that the year that I did a cosplay piece, I bought a Flash costume, like just like a Halloween costume. And I knew full well that I was like, listen, I'm not cosplaying. I'm just dressing up because I'm doing this cosplay piece and I'm going to talk to actual cosplayers, people who built their costumes from scratch. Um, but that year, I only ever went inside the lobby. I never actually went inside the convention center. I did the, all of the pieces that I shot on um, for channels, just like outside the convention center. Um, it's kind of wild in that sense that you can really experience so much of what Comic-Con has to offer without actually ever going inside the convention center. That being said, the dedication of people to go to some of the Hall H panels is wild. I still am a little surprised that the people who run Comic-Con haven't instituted 
a digital ticketing system, much like Blizzard does with BlizzCon to say, hey, like we want people who are here to feel like they're getting an exclusive experience. But there's a finite amount of tickets that we can sell to this. How about instead of just locking it to these people, which ultimately these trailers leak anyway, like who cares? Like let people just put this stuff up right away, but let them have to pay like a digital access fee. I really, really wish that they ha- would adopt that system to be like, do you want to see, you know, do you want to see this Deadpool 2 panel from Hall H, but you can't be in San Diego because maybe you live in Japan or wherever, like buy a digital entrance fee in order to be able to watch it online. I just, I don't know why they don't do that and moreover why some of these studios don't release their trailers that are their Hall H trailers just on the spot, like Hall H gets to see it first, and then immediately after the panel, it's like live online for everybody to see. It's just like certain things like that about Comic Con. I've always like kind of had an issue with, particularly because when I was working at the Escapist doing game coverage, I had one of my best Comic Cons ever because we went to the Mass Effect Three panel after being told. There was not going to be any new reveals. They're just talking about the story and the world building. And then they showed a brand new piece of animation of the Mako from Mass Effect 3 that had never been shown before. And thankfully, I had my, my video, my cell phone there. We had, a, we were, would have brought a whole camera kit with a tripod and everything if they had told us they were going to do this. And so I'm like, videoing this video from my cell phone being like, oh my gosh, they've never shown this before. And it was like one of the most clicked and watched pieces from Comic-Con I've ever done because I was like, was the only journalist who filmed it. It was just like, because they didn't tell me I couldn't, so I did. The makeup. Um, but what was crazy about it, that year for me is that I was sharing a room with a girl who was covering the Hall H panels and she had to stay outside overnight like slept on the ground in the Hall H line so that she could get a spot inside Hall H to do press coverage because they don't hold spots for press in Hall H. So she literally came and got like the pillows and a blanket from her bed in the hotel room and brought them outside with her. And she's like, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And I was like, dude, you are a trooper. I would never like if, if my boss had been like, you got to get this panel, I would have been like, nah, dog, you got to pay me like overtime bonus for sleeping on the ground. I mean, I would do it for the right price, but like, <laughs> yo. But that price ain't free. No, definitely not. And, and like, that's the hard part about about working in the entertainment business is that so many people want to do it. A lot of people take paychecks that are far below their skill set or far below what they should be demanding. And it was just like... I, the hustler in me, appreciated the hustle in this girl and, like, that she was willing to do whatever it took to get the job done. But that being said, she should have been compensated for her time. This wasn't, like, a startup. This was the escapist. Her they time had money. and her back pain. Hot yeah, damn. exactly. Right. But. I need a chiropractor appointment after this. Thank you. That's crazy. I, I'm kind of, I've heard the stories of Hall H, but I've never, I people camp out, like, for how long to get into these panels? Isn't it a while? Well, it depends what year it is and which panels there are. Mm-hmm. Like back in the Twilight days, 
like some of these girls would line up days in advance. They would have these tented areas because the lines would be so massive so early. And they have like a really strict system now of like wristbands. It's like you have to like show up to get a wristband to get into another line, which gives you like another wristband. And then that wristband gets you into a specific line at a specific time. And then they like escort you from one line to another line. It's like, Wow. Comic-Con, like half of Comic-Con, if you want to go to panels, is just waiting in these crazy lines. And I'm like, we're, it's 2018. How are we not in a system where we can just digital ticket everybody? You show up, you get a barcode, this is your barcode, it has your seats, you have an assigned seat inside the hall, and that's it. Like, I don't understand, like, why that's a problem. And then if you don't show up for your seat, there's like a waiting line. Of people who are on standby who are like, if listen, if you really want to wait for a standby, you can stand in the standby line. And then anybody who doesn't show up for their ticketed seat uh, will f- will fill those seats piecemeal with whoever's in the standby line and that's it. Like that to me seems like the like the right way to do it because people spend so much money flying to San Diego, paying for these crazy expensive hotels, buying meals that are way overpriced, standing in line. Like the least you can do is give them a digital ticket to a fucking panel, right? But – I would argue they probably don't want to do that. Well, for multiple reasons. One being, can you imagine how crazy Comic-Con would be if there wasn't half of the audience just waiting in a fucking line somewhere? Like, if they were then out and actually partaking in the things. <laughs> there, it's crowd control. <laughs> it's like, most people want to go to this thing. All right, let them wait for 48 hours. I'm sure it's fine. Jesus. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, it seems... It's antiquated at this point, um, and they should update it. I think they probably... And then there's... This is what I hate. I hate it when people are like, but people love sitting in lines. They love, like, the exclusivity of it or whatever. And you're like, okay, no one loves waiting in line. Nobody loves waiting in line. Like, literally zero people. not in the heat in the middle of summer in San Diego. Man. Danger. Danger zone. Thankfully, the heat wave has uh, has broken and it will only be like, uh, I think the top temperature I saw in the forecast was like 82, which is uh, not bad for San Diego in uh, in peak summer. But I'm with you, Steimer. I see what you're saying, but (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) So you put in a little like like, we need to manage this. Yeah, we need to make all of these people run around like over there away from everything else. Yeah. It's been interesting watching also, like, you know, talking about, like, things to do and properties there and how Comic-Con has evolved from not just, like, comic book lovers to just kind of, like, fans of TV, movies, and games in general. Like, I think about a series like Westworld, for example, and how they had, like, a giant Comic-Con activation last year where they, like, brought people out to, like, this, like, mini Westworld. And it's like, well... That started out as a movie and then was adapted into a TV series, but it was never a comic book. You know, no, it's and much more entertainment than it is comics at this point. Right. And there's like so many other TV shows and things like that that really like don't have a basis in comics whatsoever, but they're still like heavily featured at Comic Con like and whether or not they think they have a nerd base, really. Yeah. No, exactly. And like uh, there's always been like kind of a an interesting debate with people that I know that go to Comic-Con that are like Comic-Con purists that are like, oh, you guys are all like fake nerds and you don't really like comic books and you don't, you never even read the Walking Dead comic or whatever their argument is. And 
I kind of like see the point of like they're like, hey, this was meant for us and meant as a celebration of all things like the art and the narrative and like the medium of comic books. And now it's turned into this like giant commercial monster. But at the same time, I'm like, doesn't it make it a little bit more exciting? I don't know. Do you do either of you fall on a specific side? Let people enjoy things. Calm down. I mean, I think change is inevitable in life like it's going to happen things will evolve nothing will ever stay the same it's just not how it works um so i get it being like oh man this used to be like just for us and now it's for everyone and like that makes me sad but at the same time the world will not stand still for you what's that saying about when I, i'm gonna butcher this and i apologize but some of all the ships rising about Water levels. A rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Your, your, your convention that's made just for you wouldn't be as big and amazing as it is if, you know, not everything was brought into it like it is now. It's okay. It's all good. Yeah, but maybe they don't want that. I'm assuming they don't well, like all the people they being there. Start their own convention. Sorry. I, I, yeah, they might need to have like another actual comic book. I know. Point, no, it, it's like, uh, sorry, comic book traders. Here's the real thing. I for understand you. like having concerns about that, but if, it's it's when or if they throw in the oh, you're fake nerd. It's come on, stop it. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. No, thank you, sir. Just let people or enjoy Adam. things, and if it, if this isn't destroying your life, then it's fine. It's just comics. It's just video games. There's a lot of other stuff going on in the world. It's gonna be fine. I promise you. I'm here for you. Um, Bless you. I think Resident Evil 2 is going to have a demo at Comic-Con. And if any... Ooh, really? Maybe I should go play it. Yeah, I would say if anyone is going, particularly someone with beautiful red shiny hair, then it would be interested in playing. They should totally play and report back to me. I don't know anyone like that. It was just... Um, well, that came across I wrong. Wonder, I was trying. To- I know somebody I, at Capcom. I can email about this. Simon picked up um, the, the bad... I did not mean that it sounded as bad as it did. I don't think Andrew picked it on us. We're fine. Andrew, no, I don't yeah, think yeah, it's either. Good. I didn't mean it that way. Obviously, I love I, you. I, I yeah, I know what you meant, but I was like, Ooh, <laughs> maybe rephrase. Yeah. Oh, it says there's surprises. So hold on, there's this article. She's in her other world. She, you're fine. <laughs> it's true. Like I, I'm sorry, Britt. I was looking. No, up- it's you didn't want to. It's fine. It was a miscommunication. I was trying to be like, if anyone knows anyone with beautiful red hair, I mean, I don't yeah. know. She was trying to be cute. It just came out slightly off. It, it, it's fine. Anyway, yes, please go play Resident Evil 2 and let me know what you think about it. That's all I ask. Okay. According to the SEC programming schedule, Resident Evil 2 is going to be featured on Friday, Ooh. promising an appearance from the game's producers and a discussion on how Capcom is bringing back the game 20 years after its initial release. Uh. It says, quote, few other surprises. <gasps> okay. So uh, if nothing else, I have to go and see if they are giving away some kind of Resident Evil swag so I can get, bring it home for you. Oh, yeah. She would lose her shit. I would. I'm just so excited. Oh, my God. Ah. That's what I'm most excited about. To answer your question. Your original question, sir, what was your name? Brandon. That's what I'm most excited about. Resident Evil 2 shit. Yeah, because I'm not on the press list for Comic-Con, I haven't gotten any invites to any of the video game demos. Because I'm a speaker at Comic-Con this year, so I have a different type of badge. 
uh, I'm not on like the same list that all of the people who normally invite us to things for like PAX or E3, for example. <coughs> they're like, hey, you're coming. I see you're on the list. Why don't you come check out our thing? No one's emailed me. So I'm like, I'm sure there's a lot of cool stuff happening that once I get there, people will be like, did you see this? And I'll be like, no, I totally didn't. But I'm going to go find it. So fun story. That happened at one of my Comic-Cons. Another one of my really amazing Comic-Con pieces was um i'm gonna look it up now so i can see exactly what it was i was um at comic-con and this was back when uh before kind of funny existed when all those guys were still at ign and i remember running into greg at uh at a party somewhere maybe it was ign's party and i we did the thing that most of us do at at events we're like oh so how's your comic-con going what have you seen or how's your e3 going what have you played what do you like you know these very like small talky questions to like open conversation. And he was like, Oh, well we just came from checking out Spider-Man. And I was like, what do you mean? I didn't think they were showing Spider-Man. Now this was, I believe Activision's Beanox Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Got to look up the exact name. Um, I'm just Googling Activision Spider-Man. San Diego Comic-Con music. I got you girl. Um, Oh, <laughs> you don't need to quite go into transition music. I like it. But um, it was one of those um, events where I was like, oh, I never got an invite to go check it out. And even though they were showing it here. And so I like tracked down who maybe maybe this is at Spider-Man Edge of Time. Um, and I like tracked down who was going to be showing this game. And I was like, OK, I need to come and see this game. Like if you're whatever you're demoing. And we went and we did a gameplay capture. We did a full interview. And it was one of my highest viewed pieces I did. For, maybe it was the highest viewed piece I did for Comic-Con. And it was just a, a just a, a package that I picked up when I was there because I overheard somebody be like, they're showing the game. Then I was like, I must chase this game down. And what that taught me in that moment was two things. One, be willing to go with the flow and always hustle for for the right piece. Two... Man, people love the shit out of Spider-Man. <laughs> like they will watch literally anything Spider-Man. It could be crap Spider-Man, it could be great Spider-Man, it could be like the worst Spider-Man game that's ever been made. People don't care. There is a hungry rabid fan base of people out there that if you just put the Spider-Man word in the tags, they will come a flocking. Maybe we should change our podcast title no. to Spider-Man. What's good, good Spider-Man? What's good game <laughs> Spider-Man? What's Spider-Man? What's good Spider-Man? What's a good Spider-Man, Spider-Man podcast? <laughs> hey, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, I have some crazy videos. If you um if you were to go to uh to YouTube as I'm about to do right now, and uh I'm going to I'm going to just do a quick uh quote search here, Andrea Renee and Uh-oh. Comic-Con and see like how much bullshit comes up. Oh my god, you guys, so many videos. I'm old, is what I'm finding out. Uh, no, you're experienced. Thank you. That, Thank you. Does that help? <laughs> What's crazy is, is the bunch of these videos are from Clever Games, but it's on GT Reviews because that channel got renamed like three different times, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 it's a wild, wild know. world, ladies and gentlemen, covering Comic Con. It's fun though. Oh my gosh, Splinter Cell Blacklist Gameplay Preview SDCC 2013. Hey, you guys remember when Splinter Cell was a game? Rip I liked Splinter peace. Cell. Rip and peace. I thought that was very fun. We all thought it would show up at Ubisoft and all of us thought, but there was a heavy rumor. Ubisoft's press conference didn't show up. 
Rip in peace. Uh, I would like to do more SIDS, San Diego Comic Cons. This mm. sounds like a good time. It sounds, you know, for me, probably like play a few games, a few game appointments, maybe attend a few panels that aren't in Hall H, apparently, and make some fun memories and chill out. Sounds like a good time. I don't know that I've ever gone to a panel at Comic Con because I just I didn't want to deal with any of the bullshit. Yeah, kind of where I'm at. Maybe if they implement. I mean, it's actually, I mean, I went to some of the ones that Greg hosted because I could get in through the back. Yeah, <laughs> just get in there. But uh, otherwise, hell no. Yeah, it's tricky because I'm. That's <laughs> what she said. Because I'm getting a lot of San Diego Comic Con emails, and I'm like, I want to do the thing, but I'm not going. Like, there's a Dragon Ball preview event thing going on tomorrow, and I'm like, dang it. Not in San Diego. Next year. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Well, Britt, you should have let me know. We could have, uh, we could have maybe, like, made plans next year. How about this? How about next year? It'll put be on our wish list to do a What's Good Games meetup at San Diego Comic Con. Perfect. Oh God. Oh, two very. No, I'm just like let's let's. <laughs> what? Come on, Sam. Like, we'll can it, it just Saturday. be away away from the crowds of the sh- of the. Oh yeah, no. We'll yeah. find okay. We'll find some nice uh, air conditioned bar, Perfect. you know, a few blocks Perfect. off the convention center, maybe on the water, and um, or maybe you know, maybe we'll be balling out of control next year. We'll be able to like rent a boat. That's like a popular thing at Comic Con. A lot of events are held on yachts and boats and stuff. Love a yacht because it's right on the marina on there. Boat. We'll paint it purple. Let's have a house I think boat. if we're going to aim big, let's aim pie in the sky. Next year, we're going to have a What's Good Games booze cruise. Oh, yeah. I think that's super that pie in the sky, but I do like this I idea. I like pie, and I like pies in the sky, and I like booze cruises. So this sounds like a win-win. We will win, have win. pies on this boat. If we get this <laughs> boat thing to be real, which there will be aim pies. For the stars, there baby will be girl. pies on board. Okay, you heard it Who here do we first. know that's making a video game with boats? Can we convince them to pay for the party? I'll do the some cruise. Hmm. <laughs> hey, Rare. Ooh, a pirate ship cruise would be super fun. <gasps> Wouldn't it? There is a pirate ship that exists because there's been many companies that rent out that pirate ship every year at San Diego Comic-Con. I went to one of these parties when Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag uh, recreated the Jackdaw, which is, you know, Edward's ship in the game, at San Diego Comic-Con. I did a whole tour of it, and then they threw a party at there later, and Henry Cavill was there. Oh, what? And I lost my phone. And then I found my phone. Were they there was related? a brief moment where I lost my phone on that pirate ship, and I was like, "Did Henry Cavill temporarily steal your phone?" No, he didn't. He was just there Damn. dancing. He was just oh. having a good time. That's the thing about Comic Con. It's weird. There's just celebrities walking around everywhere. Well, just chill. Here to hear first, ladies and gentlemen, booze cruise next San Diego Comic Con. What's good games? We'll have pies in the sky. We'll literally like suspend pies in the sky, and then we're gonna hoist you up. And it'll be like, and you'll eat yeah, it. Yeah, like when. Like an apple contest, apple eating contest, but reversed. Yeah, yeah. Because they're we'll, hanging we'll from put, the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll hang you from and the ceiling like, and feed you pies. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. This, I, I <laughs> well, love you're this not idea. Hanging from the ceiling. The pies are hanging going. from the ceiling. And you got to, like, reach up and bite it. <laughs> we yeah. got to workshop it a little bit because gravity would probably pull the pie from from the thing. Hey, so if pinatas can hang, so can pies. The most perfect logic I have ever heard in my goddamn life. Thank you, Christine Steimer. <laughs> what if we do? What if we do hand pies? You know, like yeah, McDonald's has like the little, little hand pies. pies. What if we did that Ooh, in the sky? Yes. yes. Yeah, in the sky. 
the like, filling fight, fight, is what fight. will get us. Once you turn, once you, once you bite open that bad boy, all that filling's coming out. Bite-sized pies in the sky. Oh my I love god! It. Ship it. I can fly twice as high. <laughs> <laughs> okay oh my gosh okay um i think we have definitely um gone off the rails here so we should probably there are no wrap this up so um thank you ladies and gentlemen for tuning tuning into the show this week um once again if you're listening to this and you're at san diego or if you're interested i believe some of these panels that i'm doing are streaming um check out my twitter for all of the details and any links that's at andrea vanay and of course at what's good underscore games we'll be retweeting any links that i put out um uh, if you're listening to this i've got the lego DC Super Villains panel at 2.15 on Friday and the the Discovering Defining, I can't remember the word is, uh, the Lara Croft uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider panel at 12.30 p.m. on Saturday and then the kind of funny meet and greet. You can come out and say hi at Skybound on Saturday as well. Um, this has been awesome, ladies. As always, lovely to see you. Um, next week is another week that we're shooting off normal schedule. So for all of our pre-show patrons, keep a lookout. I believe we're going to be um, sending you emails about when you can look for the live show. And um, yeah, am I missing anything, Britt? No, we already talked about our happy hour stream Monday at 6.30 p.m. Oh, PT. yeah. Be posting that on Monday. So every Monday, fo- fo- folks and friends, that came out with one word, and I don't know, it's it's a weird day. Uh, every Monday, I post updates to our Patreon page, so if you want to know what's good and exciting for whatever week, just head there, and I'll post a thing, and I'll give you all of the updates. So, yeah. So I've covered my bases in those posts, because right now I'm not thinking. All I'm thinking about is bite-sized pies in the sky. That's good. <laughs> bite-sized <laughs> pies pie in the sky. Pie sounds really good right now, oh, man. Oh, man. That sounds real good. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're all going to go get pies. You should go get one, too. Don't forget to check out teespring.com slash stores slash what's good games if you want to check out any of our merch. And we love you. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.